Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Fitrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm excited. This is a thrill-packed issue of Who's Who. Apparently, we read different issues. <laughs> Come on, the lead character's Tarantula. Don't you remember in the 80s when DC was putting him in every book to boost sales? That's true, that's true. It's not so much that I would call this a lackluster issue, it's just maybe it's not as shiny <laughs> as it could key. be. It's <laughs> low-key. Um, if you don't like George Perez and the Titans, I don't know that there's a lot here for you. <laughs> what an intro we're giving people to, to stay tuned for the next two and a half hours. No, it's a, it, there's actually, there's a lot to love in here, but it is hard to go, this is the, you know, this is the issue everyone's been waiting for. It's, there's not a lot, you can't do that much. I'm sure, when they were, lot of, I'm sure when they were compiling it, DC was like, could we maybe put him in as the Batman? Could we get away with that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why Destro came in as Terminator. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but there is some really good stuff in here, and there's some amazing Titans and Perez stuff in here that's really knock your socks off. And uh, anyway, we're going to have some fun with it. You know, we always do. But first off, we need to thank our sponsors. Folks, uh, the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, what you got? Well, this is a, I don't want to say it's a big issue for the Phantom Stranger. It's only two characters, but it's two. Two characters from, from Phantom Stranger. He <laughs> didn't more than he usually Yeah, gets. he did not have a lot of supporting characters. So, Phantom Stranger, uh, I'm going to go right over the plate here. Showcase presents Volume 1, Phantom Stranger, reprints Showcase number 80, and Phantom Stranger numbers 1 through 21, featuring stories by Bob Kaniger, Denny O'Neill, Jerry Conway, John Broom, and others. But the big focus is the run on the book by Len Wein and Jim Apparel. That is my favorite fan of Stranger Stories, and they're all here. The cover is by Jim Apparel and Neil Adams. The page count is 544, black and white. Normal price is $16.99. Instant trades price is $9.85. That's 42% off. Yeah, these are, this is so much fun. And, you know, this is not a book that suffers at all being in black and white from the loss of color. The color looked perfectly fine, but the Phantom Stranger works great in black and white. And these are fantastic stories. So pick this one up. Showcase presents Volume 1 Phantom Stranger. Very cool. Uh, I picked an obvious one as well. New Teen Titans Omnibus Hardcover Volume 2. This is going to cover, you're basically New Teen Titans starting with issue 21. All kinds of smatterings of stuff. Up through issues, oh gosh, I'm almost losing track of it here. It goes through the Judas contract and some more. So that's kind of where you want to pick this up. That was around so, like 44, 45, wasn't it? Yeah, it goes through 44. So yeah. Okay. So you're, you're going to get 
you know, the introduction of Terra. You're going to see Deathstroke doing some of his nastiest stuff. You're going to see amazing George Perez art. I want to say Robin quits and uh, Dick Grayson quits being Robin in this run too. Yeah, absolutely he does. So, and becomes Nightwing. So it's a really great set. It's 736 pages in color. All right. I mean, this is George Perez. This is Mike. Uh, I'm sorry, Marv Wolfman. Then they've got a couple of the Batman and Outsider issues in here because they crossed over. So you get Mike W. Barr. You get Jim Aparo. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, 736 pages, full color. Normally retails for seventy five dollars, but you can get it for forty two percent off. It's only forty three dollars and fifty cents. Forty three dollars and fifty cents for seven hundred and thirty six of the best comics published and most popular comics published in the 1980s dude it's a steal it really is hell throw the phantom stranger on top of it and you get free shipping because you get free shipping for orders of 50 dollars or more hey there you go all right all right folks again our thanks to InStock trades for sponsoring the who's who podcast well rob um i'm not sure if you've heard of who's who before but i'm going to tell you a little bit about it um who's who was a 26 issue series <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly messing with you. Folks, we're on volume XXIII. That's 23 for those of you who are Roman numerally challenged. This one has a cover date of January 1987, but do not set your DeLorean for 1987 because you'll have missed it. It'll be dog-eared if there's any copies left. You want to go back to October 16th, 1986 to get your pristine copy because that's the day it hit the shelves, folks. So we're on issue 23 of 26 for this original volume. Almost done. Now, just to remind you what the interior looks like, each character receives, a, 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 for the most part, a page to themselves. It's full color in the foreground, and the background is going to be a single color that's called a surprint, and the background will be depicting their origin or something, uh, but some aspect of the character, and they usually have a close-up of their face without their mask. You're going to get all their personal data and their history. All that information's there. Our goal here is to describe the entries in such a way that you don't necessarily need them in front of you. So we have, we're going to go ahead, just to help out, though, we're going to reprint eh, 10 to 15 of these on our Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There you go. By the way, I forgot to say thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for the information on the release dates. So, All right. Um, well, Rob, this one's yours. You want to walk us through it? Uh, yeah, well, the cover is uh, unusually by Joe Staten and Mike DiCarlo, their first uh, Who's Who cover. I think it's their only one. Uh, and, you know, anyone who's listened to the show or listened to Fire and Water knows how much I love Joe Staten. Uh, this is not a great cover. I don't think he's a particularly appropriate artist for Who's Who. Uh, he's, he's got a very cartoony style. Not that that's inherently a bad thing, but I just don't think it's great as a representative of the DCU in any given month. And this cover... It's just okay. Um, the sizes are all off. People are way different sizes in a lot of ways, and uh, it, it's just not really one of who's who, one of who's who's best. Um, I don't know if it has much to do with the fact that the characters are relatively sort of uninspiring, um, but uh, although this is one of the times where I think DC's rule that the teams don't get to appear on the cover if they get individual listings later on, or the villain gets to be the main character, really bites them in the ass. Because I think they would have loved to have had the Teen Titans be the major characters on this cover. But they, yeah. they couldn't do that. Uh, because all the Teen Titans got their own listing. So the Teen Titans don't appear on this cover, even though they are by far the most marketable characters in this book. Well, the, the, the cover really was owed to either... Well, you, you make a good point about the villains, but Deathstroke or Terra, or even the Titans Tower would have made a lot more sense. To yeah. have the Titans Tower in the background... 
Um, Talia, she is front and center, which is the right thing to do. Probably should have had Timberwolf up there also due to their success with Legion at the time. Yeah, Tarantula is really put, <laughs> really pushing it. He's got a totally badass costume, but he is yeah. the wrong dude. Yeah. Now, there are certain design elements of the cover I really like. Um, I wasn't as bothered by the art as you. Like, I, I actually kind of like Talia. Um, I mean, she's super hippie, the way Staten drew her. And I don't mean like uh, a hippie chick. I mean, she's got hips like that don't end. But she's kind of sexy. She's got really determined eyes. I like that. I'm not but sure Destro- who she's aiming at. She's aiming at somebody off, off panel. Well, it's, uh looks like she's aiming at my cat. But anyway, because that's who's off to my side. But the, the size and the different proportions didn't really bother me because it sort of works. Like Deathstroke and Tarantula are huge. Well, they're shooting or they're, they're facing off against each other. Now you've got what, Tanarak and uh, Tala are zapping each other, which is nice because they're both fan of Stranger characters. You've got the Thriller characters at the top. It took me a while to figure out that that was Thriller herself at the very top with just the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? There's some other nice little things I liked. Let's see. Oh, goodness. I like Telus sort of swimming in there. And, um, well, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm reaching harder than I thought I was going to have we to. Talk, now, everybody, you should know, we talked about that we're recording this very late. It's very late at night. We talked about how we're going to kind of go quickly through this one. And yet here is Shag straining to find something nice to say about the cover. Let's just move on. We're done. Let's go. <laughs> Why are you straining to find something nice? So on the inside cover, um, there's just a bunch of questions, basically, about various characters. Nothing terribly exciting one way or the other. Two different letters ask about Kid Psycho. So who would have guessed he was that uh, popular? And uh, someone else asks why Isis wasn't included, and it's because uh, she was part of Filmation. So, you know, nothing, nothing really memorable one way or the other on the inside of uh, the, the cover. But it's nice to have, you know, nobody was pissy for once. Well, there is something that's worth mentioning, and I think it's been mentioned before, that Golden Eagle and Harlequin are both, have never existed in post-crisis continuity. Right. yes, in the uh, letters um, page. And, just, yeah. and that it merits mentioning because we're about to hit the Teen Titans entry this issue. Right. So, and yep. Superboy Prime doesn't get an entry. He, he says he was actually created with a wink by Julie Schwartz. I like that. Yeah, yeah and then somebody asked about why didn't uh, Queen Projector get an ad, a listing, and they said, well, it's because she's Censor Girl, and we already knew that, da, 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 you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the first listing is Cyrene, a Superman villain from Action Comics. The election mark is number 527. Uh, the art is by Dennis Cowan and Rick Magyar. It's perfectly fine. Nothing terribly again exciting one way or the other uh she's looks like uh i had her her costume reminds me of somebody her her blouse with all the different cat little starbursts on it but I'm the, the guy we covered it like last issue or the issue before um a batman villain had a horrible costume oh the signal man yes yeah signal man. signal yeah, man yeah 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 signal man yeah um my favorite line though in this whole listing is the final paragraph of her history. And this, to me, sentence sums up everything about Bronze Age Superman. The other Superman went back in, past to, to in, went back in the past to Rip Hunter's time, Sphere, see Rip Hunter, and rejoined himself. That, to me, is everything about Bronze Age Superman. <laughs> well, interesting you should mention that, because in this entry, they mentioned something... Because this, this is a character who fought uh, along with Satanus against the Bronze Age Superman. And they say, see Superman 2, meaning see the Superman 2 entry. Well, as we now know, the Bronze Age Superman last issue never got an entry. Right. So they're referencing an entry that doesn't exist because you can't reference the John Byrne version unless you're assuming that 10-year gap. 
he fought everyone that the Bronze Age Superman wit did, but yeah. clearly that's not true. Yeah. This, this this one is almost like a bookend, really, to the Satanist entry, because I think I think Dennis Cohen did the Satanist entry also, if I remember correctly. Uh, and even if he didn't, the text is clearly the other side of that text. Yeah. Um, I don't care for the Bronze Age Satanists. I know some of our listeners are big fans of them. Power to you. Find your joy. It's not mine. Um, so I, I kind of got a little... The other thing about this entry is it's blow by blow. It goes, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. I don't want that. I want, to, I want the broad strokes of the history instead of going, and this happened, and the next this happened, and then he wiped his nose, and then he went to the bathroom. And it, that's what this reads like. Yeah. And I think you're being far too kind to the art. She looks like a creepy, skinny waif girl, um, and she's standing in a really incredibly boring pose. Okay. So, all right. All right. Sorry. I just, I just, way to start by pissing off the Superman fans. Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, we gave Superman quite a good, you know, space last issue, so I don't think we have any problems there. Next up is Tala, a Phantom Stranger villain, uh, not drawn by Jim Aparo, sadly enough, but drawn by someone named Henry Bismuth. And who the hell is Henry Bismuth? Uh, I had to look him up. He only has two credits in all of comics. Uh, this listing and a single page in an issue of Savage Tales, which was Marvel's black and white magazine, the second go-around at, the, at that title. So I was like, who is this guy? So I asked, who's your editor? Robert Greenberger. Oh, see, uh, we both looked him up, but I didn't have the resources right. you had. I asked, awesome. I asked Bob, I'm like, Bob, who the hell is Henry Bismuth, and why wasn't it Jim Aparo? And he said he does not remember who Henry Bismuth is, but what he does remember is that Henry Bismuth was a pseudonym for somebody else. Uh. And he does not remember who. And he said the reason that Paro didn't do it, he said that Paro was just too busy. He just had, he was doing his regular book, plus he did some stuff for Who's Who. He did a, he did a listing this very issue. So he just was too busy. So they gave it to this person who, I guess, lost to the mists of time, who Henry Bismuth really was. Um, it's a darn shame. Yeah? If you just look at Tala, it looks a little, I thought it was Staten at first. But the back, the background doesn't hold true there. I, I think this is a pretty lousy looking entry. Um, I think the the background, especially stuff, is pretty cruddy. So uh, I'm really disappointed in this one because I really liked her as a villain. She was fan of strangers, essentially his her, not his Lex Luthor because that's coming later, but but his Catwoman, like his you know the woman who was like his villain, but sort of was turned on by him and was interested in him, and he was always trying to seduce him, and he was having to be like, no, 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 you know, you're evil. So uh, this is a really interesting character. I mean, I'm not big on magic characters, but if you're into the Fam Stranger, you got to be into magic. She was drawn beautifully by Neil Adams and then later by Aparo, and um, she always came back to be a thorn in the Fam Stranger's side, but this listing would not do anything for you if you don't know anything about her. Yeah, I, I wasn't particularly wowed. I mean, the, the, the gist of it was that She's hot. It's kind of all I really got out of it. I mean, I, I did a bunch of research, as you've already said. You know, handful of appearances. She she shows up every few years. Nowadays, she's shown up every few years to just be in a background or whatever. But the only thing that really jumps out at me is she was inv- invented this dark circle, which is not related to the Legion. But it seems like at some point that's just ripe for someone to retcon the dark circles together. <laughs> the nice thing is her occupation is would-be conqueror, creator of chaos. Well, you know, someone has to. That's fun. That's good stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah this is a, a, a big swing and a miss here. Sorry, Henry Bismuth, whoever the hell you are. Actually, he later became Rob Rob Leefield. So. She's uh, still hot. So, yeah, she's still very hot. Um, next up is Talia, 
done by Jerry Bingham, who did the honors for the uh, Raz Agul, Raish Agul, let's not get into an argument, uh, listing. So it's only appropriate that she, that he does both listings. Um, it's a great drawing. She looks, she looks great. She looks, you know, you could see why Batman would be into her, and you can see that he is. He's standing there, bare-chested, but with his mask still on, giving her a nice embrace. And then there's a close-up of her with her dad. Um, it's, you know, she's one of the great, to me, like one of the, you know, maybe not the great Batman villains, but like up there uh, of the last quarter century of a, a recurring figure in this character's history that always seems to show up every so often. And uh, I think it's a great, it's a great listing. I think it looks, looks great and uh, it gives you the history that you want. It doesn't give, goes through everything because she had a lot. She had appeared a lot by this point. And, uh, but it, it hits all the, you know, all the major beats. Well, um, you said that. Uh, Jerry had also done the Raja Ghoul entry. Well, it's really what's going on is it's the, the son of the demon is what this is all right, leading to. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the, her, her outfit she's wearing is exactly the same outfit that was drawn on the cover. So clearly they just provided them, the, the, the cover artist, the, the, this entry. Yeah. So this is what to draw. I, I like it. I mean, Telly is an interesting character. I probably like her more than I like... Uh, Raza Ghul, her dad. And I, I continue to say it wrong just to get under people's skin, but I like her occupation as adventurous. And, um, you know, that's that's about all I got. I mean, other than it, it, is a, it is a sexy entry. I like the kind of sketchiness of the line work. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Bingham as an artist. There is It does have a little bit too much of an Electra feel in the background there. Oh, when she's, um, when she's attacking the two guys and she's got the sign yeah. in her hand. Yeah, yeah and, and I don't know. I mean, she's been around a while, but Electra was definitely around by this period, so I don't know who claim that look first so i don't know yep. cool. next up is a tamaran drawn by chuck Patton and romeo tango i'll be honest as a kid i always sort of skipped over these entries of of the places because i just i don't know they just didn't terribly interest me and this one it looks nice i mean chuck Patton is chuck Patton. it always does a good job but the it, it just i just sort of zone out on these listings because i just like the whole planet i don't care eh, you know whatever um <laughs> But, I mean, you know, it looks neat. Uh, you know, like I said, Chuck Patton always did a good job. And I have to say, out of all the planet entries, visually, this is one of the better ones. I mean, Chuck Patton, as you said, is a great artist. You, you get the, the land masses, but you also get these nice little inset pictures mm-hmm. that are fully formed. They're not some of the, like, halfway done ones sometimes you see, where someone draws, you know, just draws a little sketch of a little section. I mean, it's fully formed, so the art's really, really, really nice. And unfortunately, it's completely ruined by a bunch of talk about the Omega Men and Starfire. <laughs> um, but that's not, you can't fault, you know, Chuck Patton for that. No, so. that's not his fault. I love the final sentences. Though Tamarin is still a beautiful place, these recent power struggles have made it less than a paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, if you're into Tamaran, you know, um, Starfire or Omega Man, it actually it does read pretty good. I've read it. It, it the, the text piece is written nicely. It flows well. Um, I just I'm not a big fan of those characters. So the design is nice in that, like you mentioned, the insets. The insets are all in full color, and then the background shot of uh, what's her name, Blackfire, is in the Serpent, is in the Magenta. So that's that's a nice, you know, I, I like the. Uh, contrast of the surprint and then the full color so it's it's a again beautiful listing chuck Patton, always a solid artist always did a solid job well he he definitely now i look at this he really had taken his lessons from perez when he took over titans because if you look at the background with the starfield and stuff that's totally a perez kind of background yeah. that's starfield thing yeah uh next up is tanarak another fan of stranger character this <sighs> time this time dro- dro- what what are you crying take a nap when you talk about this more what? fan of stranger this time oh, 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 God, another Phantom Stranger listing. It's not like, <laughs> you know, we only have to deal with 19 of them per issue, like some teams I could mention. Um, 
No, this is Tanarak drawn by Jim Aparo. Uh, the, okay, not the the pose of him just standing there with his fist clenched. It's okay. I love all the background stuff, though. Uh, and it's Jim Aparo drawing the Phantom Stranger. I will never, ever complain about that. He looks like Lucifer. I mean, that's the whole idea, is that he's a sorcerer, he's an evil guy. He is the Phantom Stranger's main bad guy. Um, he first appeared in Phantom Stranger number 10, and he's come back again and again and again to thwart the Phantom Stranger. And uh, it's cool. I dig it. I mean, I like his, you know, total white suit. He's a bad guy, but he's an all-white, and Phantom Stranger's a good guy, and he's an all-black. Contrast, metaphor. Uh, so it's neat. It's neat stuff. It's it's Jim Apparel. I totally did not pick up on the fact that their clothes are opposite. <gasps> I just All I can think about. Mind. Well, all I could think about was if Abracadabra or Antanarak showed up at the same party, they'd be horribly <laughs> embarrassed, you know, by wearing the same outfit. But, um, his entry sounds re- – I mean, I hate to, you know, give props to your stuff because it just doesn't feel right to do that. But really fascinating history where Tala, which is sort of in the same vein here, sort of left me flat her entry. This entry is really interesting. There's, a, there's some cool stuff in here. It sounds fascinating about him extending his life, the love of his life in there. I – I was pretty wowed by this. And he's got a little Wolfman Jack sort of horns yeah, going on his head. It's cool. I dig him. Like I said, it's, I, I love Aparo, and I'm always happy to see him in Who's Who. Yep. Uh, next up is Tara, character from Warlord, which means drawn by Mike Grell and means wearing very little clothing. Uh, <laughs> there, In the background, we see her uh, getting close with, uh, with Travis, and then her with a sword, and then her on a throne. Uh, she is the Queen of Shambhala. She first appeared in the first issue special, number six, which is the same first appearance as Warlord. So she's been there since the beginning. Uh, nice listing. Cool stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's kind of surprising about this is she's drawn with a sort of uh, petite stature. Um, that's my nice way of saying she's not, like, busting out with the boobs everywhere. She's, you know, a regular-sized proportion woman. Uh, By comic book standards, is. yes. Okay. Well, yeah, she's just not what you expect in a, a scantily clad woman in a comic book is normally going to be. Right. Just, right. You know. Anyway, um, I enjoyed this entry. I'm not, as I've said many times, I'm not a huge sword and sorcery guy, but this reads, again, it's written in such a way that it's very nice. And I'm, I'm, I'm stressing this because there's going to be some entries in this book that are not written in such a way that I'm, I'm thrilled about. So I like to point out the ones that are good. Uh, the art looks great. I love Mike Grell. And, and really, I am, I am really ready to learn more about Warlord. I am totally jazzed by this stuff. The, the Who's Who entries on Warlord have got me really excited, and I've read a couple issues so far and loving it. You read so. the ones that you got at, uh, in Devon? I've got a couple left, but I've read most okay. of them, yeah. Right, and cool. she's, she's hot, I'm just saying. Of course, of course. Yep. And she's rocking the same color scheme as Talia, so there's a, sort of a theme, the magenta theme of this issue. Uh, well, it was the 80s. Was that a big? Was the eighties a big magenta thing? I have no idea. DC color printing magenta oh, okay. was a big okay. deal. I mean, think about all the uh, flexographic magenta well, that we yeah, had to deal with. Let's not think about that. Next up is Tarantula from the All Star Squadron. Of course, he was before, around before that. He first appeared in Star Spangled Comics number one. That's how far back he goes. Drawn by Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway. Beautiful listing. Of course it is. It's Jerry Ordway. And we made fun of Tarantula a little bit as being the star of the cover. But he's a perfectly fine character. Roy Thomas did a lot with him in All-Star Squadron. I liked him quite a bit. And in fact, this is strange. I, back in the 90s, I actually wrote a spec script for a Tarantula miniseries. I have no idea why I did that. 
because <laughs> because I don't think I was asked by DC to do it or anything like that. I I only got an offer like that one time. I've already mentioned this on the show, so I have no idea why I did it. But part of my it was drinking heavily. It was a I guess so. It was a pitch that I put together, and I actually included this listing in the the envelope with the pitch. And I went to Kinko's and got I brought this very issue to Kinko's and got it photocopied. Because this was in 1993. This is pre-me having a computer to be able to do that. So this is the listing that I scanned in. And I got a sort of a sideways glance from the person at Kinko's because I'm a nerd. Um, And it's illegal to do that. But anyway. It's not illegal to do that. It's copyrighted material. I didn't sell it. Every time I went to Kinko's and tried to photocopy stuff, they said, you can't do that. Yeah, they were lying. They were lying to you. (laughs) They just didn't didn't want to do it. Kinko's was... Kinko's was mostly staffed by drug fiends and and uh, oh my God. and uh, alcoholics, so they just totally didn't want to do it. Trust me, <laughs> they they were lying to you. They're like, look at this dork. We can tell him anything. Uh, it's illegal. Okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, my <laughs> my story was basically that like, they, <coughs> thanks, Jack. Um, I think you killed me. My story was basically um, not that anybody asked, but the story that I wrote was about that like. He he. After he got his book published, which they mention here, his book Altered Egos, which was about his life as a superhero, like his book sales start dying down after that. So he decides to go back out being a superhero to gain more fodder for his next book. But of course, he's too old and he's taking more and more risks to become a superhero. And that's like that was the tension of it: is that he's basically going back out being a superhero again for the wrong reasons for fame and fortune so he could write another book and all the risk that he takes and stuff like that. So I didn't think it was a bad premise. Obviously I don't know whatever I'm, I don't know if I ever mailed the damn thing, but I, I did, you know, I, I did, I did in fact send the book. Uh, so, uh, he's got a cool costume. He had his original costume. He looked a lot like the Sandman, it was the same color scheme, the purple and yellow. Um, thank God they gave him this outfit, which is much more distinctive. Um, and then said so there's a close up of him in his, without his mask on. Then you see him at work, uh, you see him grabbing a, a, um, a bad guy with his little spidery gun thing and then swinging through the city in his old costume. So it's beautiful. Jerry Ordway did a great job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Jerry. He he knows, especially by now, knows his way around a who's who entry like nobody's business. Yeah. So he, he really knows what he's doing. Um, I, I do have some thoughts on this. Is just that, like, this tarantula costume was designed for the All-Star Squadron. And it is an incredibly awesome costume for the 1980s that has no business being in the 1940s. Probably not. So it's it looks like a great 1980s costume. It really does. Like, but it just it shouldn't have been on a 1940s character. All right, fair and enough. Maybe, maybe if you took away the pouches and took away some of the extra lines, you know, maybe you could get on board with it being 40s, but as it stands, it's really bad. It's really boss. It's so cool. I just don't think it belongs there. So, I didn't know I, I didn't know how much the tarantula appeared prior to All-Star Squadron. Were you have you ever looked at this? Not too I no, I'm not that familiar with the stories uh, that he had that his appearances in Star Spangled Comics. Only 19 issues. Huh, okay. In Star Spangled Comics and then nothing till All-Star Squadron. Wow. Was, nice job, Roy Thomas. Really surprised. Yeah. Nice, nice save, if you will. Yeah. I love they talk about. It. He says uh, Tarantula made his first public appearance soon afterwards when he defeated thieves who had robbed an audience at a Broadway theater. Reporting the incident, a radio announcer referred to the new hero as both a Tarantula and a Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if only they had copyrighted. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> oh my if gosh, only. That would be insane. Nice listing. 
Uh, next up is The Tattooed Man, drawn by Kevin McGuire and Dick Giordano. Uh, the, I, has this guy come back in the new 52? Yet? I have no yeah. idea. Cause I, yeah, it I'm, would seem likely. Um, I mean, tattoos are kind of a exact, thing That's exactly what I was thinking, is that you could not think of a character more hip at the moment than a tattooed man guy. Like, that, it's right over the plate. I mean, not this costume, because he looks like a complete idiot. But, I mean, the, the idea and the motif is perfect for, for right yeah. now. I mean, okay. good lord, in the background, he's being headbutted by the elongated man. So, he's not exactly the most fearsome foe. And then his final, the final part of his listing says, The Goldface Mob killed Tarrant, which was his name, his real name, uh, Abel Tarrant, for stealing from them. <laughs> so, that yeah. was it. Goldface killed this guy, and that's pretty much the end of his career. All right, I got some things to say about this one. Um, first off, the art is the art is kind of weak, um, which is surprising because you get Kevin McGuire and Dick Giordano. Yeah, kind of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Socks knocked off. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that's pretty surprising. Now, the, I would say the background, the background image where Elongated Man's bumping him in the head—that's great. You know, the image where Hal's there and he's he's in his sailor suit still—that's pretty good. Right. But the front image is just totally weak. Um, my biggest issue with this, though, it is. The entry, the way it's written, I almost feel like either someone did this who hasn't done a who's who before, or maybe it's, um, well, anyway, I, I can make a million excuses, but it is written as a summary of comic book adventures, not a character summary. Uh, and, and besides the fact that it goes blow by blow by blow, it even talks about like he uses one costume for a single story. That, they, they don't do that in who's who. They talk about the people as if they're real. Not the con- not the issues they appeared mm-hmm. in, and then uh, so that really bothered me as I read through it. I had a real struggle with that. And then at the end, the, the whole thing about him getting killed—it's almost like that was tacked on as an afterthought. Like maybe the person who wrote it didn't know that, and so the editor added that or something. Um, it really kind of bothered me. Now I, the character itself never did anything for me until I read the Vertigo miniseries called Skin Graft. <laughs> okay, dude. No, it was one of the earliest Vertigo series, and it wasn't about this guy. In fact, I want to say I think this guy shared a jail cell with somebody else and gave that guy similar tattoos or something and that story. It, that made me respect the whole idea of the tattooed man so much more and made me realize how cool he was. So I, I do actually have an affection for this character, um, or at least what this character could do. I have to think that he was at least a little inspired by the Ray Bradbury story, The Illustrated Man, which is about a guy covered in tattoos and like all of his tattoos to tell a story. And they made a movie about it later in the early 70s with Rod Steiger where it's like almost like a um it's not an omnibus movie but it's a, it's we go into these different sci-fi stories based on all the different tattoos on him yeah. and, but I think the book was published in the 50s which is before Tattooed Man first appeared so this feels like an inspiration from that that source interesting yeah. You may be onto something there. I'm, pro- I'm probably wrong. Usually, when I make these guesses, like two seconds later after we post the episode, there's three comments on Firestorm fan. No, you know, Rob got it wrong. So, odds are I'm probably wrong just because I said it. So, usually that's me being wrong, not you. But okay, so I, nice, I've of been, take, been, nice of you to take the hit. I've been having a rough couple of months. Uh, <laughs> next up is Taz from Atari Force, and it's a nice listing drawn by, drawn by Ed Harrigan and Don Heck. Don Heck, not known as an inker of other people's work. He's inked his own work, but not somebody else's. I think that's kind of unusual. I think it looks, it looks cool. Um, he's a little funky guy. He's only a two foot 11, but he's like super heavy armored. He's got a bandolier and a gun and he's got all these little, as they call them unnamed Taslings, which are his children, <laughs> which are dangling off the logo. 
The only thing, the thing I think about when I look at this listing, though, is the giant dead space in the upper left. And I feel like that when they told Ed Hannigan where the space was, they said, don't fill the left third of the thing because we're going to fill it with history. And then they ran out of history. And they just didn't have uh. enough to fill the space. Because that, that that my eye just keeps being drawn to that big green block of nothing. Uh, that is there. really interesting. I didn't even catch that, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's like the logo should be there. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason why that space is, shouldn't be filled. But you know, again, how much was there to say about Taz, really? Um, you know, it, it reminds me that I really need to get out there and read my um, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, Atari Force. Like, Atari Force. Yeah, you've been saying you know, that I've, since Who's Who Number One. I know. Well, I bought them. I own them right, now, right, so I just right. need to get off my ass and read them. So there's there's a lot of sort of interesting things here. The the thing about how like. The children have technical ability, but the adults don't. I wonder if that was sort of retconned as, as they wrote it, like saying, oh, you know, we probably better explain how that disappears. I don't know. But mostly, I'm just in love with these little in-play characters running around. <laughs> I think they're adorable. You know, at first I thought this was drawn by Kevin O'Neill, uh, just at first glance. And then the more I looked at it, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I had to look up. Ed Hannigan did draw an issue or two of uh, Atari 4, so that made sense for him to do this. But. It's a fun little piece, and I, you're absolutely right. That top left-hand corner, they absolutely intended that something to happen there. Yeah, I think that is this the first time where one of the Atari Force listings are mentioned as being not part of the DC universe? Because it says here, the adventures of the Atari Force take place in the not-too-distant future outside the canon of the traditional DC universe. I don't know if any hmm. of the Atari Force listings before this had said that. Well, that is a new, a new thing they started just a few issues ago. And right. we haven't seen, actually, any Atari Force entries in a while. So it's quite possible that that is the case. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to go back and look. I, I think. Yeah, I think this is the first time they they did that. So. Hmm. All right. All right. Next up is the new. Well, not the new. The Teen Titans, because this is covering all the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. uh, drawn by George Perez. What can you say about it? It's the Teen Titans drawn by George Perez. <laughs> <laughs> You can say that. You could. I mean, it's, it's well. What? I mean, I'm just saying it's great. No, it's just funny the way you said it. Well, That's I mean, what 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 is there left for me to compliment about George Perez drawing his signature characters? It's got everybody, even the characters that he traditionally did not draw, like Bumblebee and Mal and Lilith. They're all coming out at the uh, at the camera. They're flying out. There, there's uh, some nice symmetry. Perez was big to that, big into that. On the left hand side, you've got Tula. A.K.A. Aqua Girl, and then you've got on the right, you've got Garth, Aqua Lad, both in the same position, flying out. Um, it's 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 great. It's just great. It, it, the history is. I mean, there's a lot to cover. Uh, I think this is particularly well written, except for the end because it gets into the whole thing with Brother Blood again. Like they were really hitting on the whole. Well, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but the rest, but the, visually, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's as you said, George Perez, signature characters, it's absolutely wonderful. I, I also noticed the currently thing. I'm sort of torn on it. Like, it makes the entry not timeless when he does stuff like that, and it always seems to be Marv Wolfman that's doing it. But at the same side, it's probably helping to sell the comics at the time. So I kind of, like, forgive him for it, mm-hmm. you know? So um, this, is, this jumps out at me, you know, no Golden Eagle, no Harlequin. I don't know why Golden Eagle had to be removed from continuity. I don't know why he had to go. Well, because I mean, I, I, well, cause he was involved with, like, they said later that he had nth metal. That stuff was nth metal. And I think Tony Isabella said, no, he does not. So I think they just wiped him out entirely. I mean, that they couldn't have come up with something else. But um, I, think that was, I think that was probably why. Okay. All right. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a representative of DC Comics, Shag. You don't have to get upset. No, 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 I'm just saying. I think that's what it was. It's the Tony Isabella talk. Just gets on my nerves. Anyway, uh, the Tony so Isabella talk. Well, he gets. We really, do that every month. No, not. That's not. No, he just. I've read too many too many rants online from him, and they just gets under my skin. So I understand that. Um, <laughs> You're so not the it, only it, one. It's interesting. They, they This is not the new Teen Titans. This is the Teen, Teen Titans. Titans. Right. They took the time to make that, which is nice. Um, you know, since, you know, I'm a total perv. So which one's hottest? Who's the hottest Teen Titan here in the drawing? You're asking me? Yep. Uh, well, I'm going to go with my predilection, so I'm going to say Lilith. Some bitch. That's what I came up with, too. Ah. <laughs> like, looking at it, the way all of these are drawn, she just stands out above. And, and maybe it's just because she's rocking the pleated miniskirt and the boots and, and the red hair, which is, like, totally hot. But she's, like, the one I was like, man, oof, I'm, uh, my attention's drawn to that. So the entry reads very nice. I mean, it's, it's really well done it, because th- there's so much history with the Teen Titans, you know? There's so many iterations. They've gone through so many incarnations. They could have really got caught up in a either – just glossing over certain things or not giving it something enough notice or going blow by blow. It's the perfect mix. Uh, Wolfman did a really nice job laying out the history and keeping it flowing as a nice red piece. I was very pleased with it. Overall, it, it is the kapow moment of the issue and uh, it works. Yeah. And Raven's smiling. Is she? And then her little headshot, she's smiling. Ah, look at that. Oh my gosh. She's got some teeth going. <laughs> All right. All right. Very good. Next up is Titan's Tower. Makes sense. Drawn by Arn. Yeah, it is. Drawn by Arn Star. They had a really cool headquarters. And I, I know that um, toy lines were not driven by comic book series. Obviously, they were drawn by cartoons. But it's sort of amazing to me that considering how popular the Teen Titans were, that there was never a toy line. Yeah. And I mean, how they didn't made end it up, an awesome playset. How they didn't end up on the superpowers line is still yeah. just or, or with their own show. I mean, Teenage Superheroes? That, like, my God. The... the, the they did the Kids Power Hour with Shazam. You couldn't try the Teen Titan? Well, I mean, they, they wanted to. There was a lot of talk of it back then. And then, of course, you know, it happened in the 2000s. So. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 they're a big hit now. But I'm just, I'm just, it seems amazing to me that that, that didn't hit. And uh, like I said, this would have been a really cool place. A giant T with all the characters running around it. That would have been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Is that still a thing so, in, like, the current Teen Titans? Is, like, they still have Titans Tower? Um, I'm not reading the new 52 stuff, but I will tell you shortly before New 52, when it was the Jeff Johns series, they had the Teen Titans Tower cool. in San Francisco, which was nice. Neat. You know, I didn't read the Teen Titans book when it was coming out, but even me reading this entry, like, the little kid in me started cheering. Like, I could feel the excitement that would come from seeing this entry as a kid who was a fan of the Teen Titans, which is t- utterly bizarre, because I didn't read it until I was older. But it's just like, wow, this is so cool! Now, do we know who um, uh, Arn Star is? Didn't he do some stuff for the Legion? I don't know. I didn't do the research on that oh, one. Okay. I, j- I just assumed he was sort of a, like a... Uh, what's the guy who does all the Marvel Punisher handbooks? Um, somebody Brown. Anyway, Elliot I, Brown. I don't know. Elliot Brown. Yeah, I just I I didn't know. So. No, I think Orange Star was somebody who did some Legion stuff again. Okay, you're wrong. All right. So, speaking of Legion, next up is Telus by Steve Lytle. This this I don't know what the hell is up with this character. Uh, this was one of the things like, that kept me from enjoying the Legion. Was like this guy's a member, but the drawing is killer. I mean, it is beautiful it totally drawing. Is. 
Uh, yeah, you can't fault this. No. And no. He, he's an interesting character, the stuff he's gone through. I did a little research on this one. Um, I always assumed Tellus was his name. I didn't realize until we were getting ready for this episode that his name Ganglius. was actually Ganglius. Yes. Yeah. So then I did. I had to look up what Tellus was. I didn't know what it was. Are you familiar with the term? No. It's a Latin word meaning earth. Okay. Uh, so, or, so, as in like Terra. Uh, it's ancient Roman earth mother goddess. It's also a couple other things too. But it was interesting that an alien character took a name representing earth. So, But he was an underwater aquatic guy. Always had to wear a hood. Or not a hood, but a helmet. Um, one of Steve Lytle's sort of signature Legion characters. Right. Just amazing artwork. Looks totally awesome. I love the logo. Absolutely boss. Steve Lytle knocked this one out of the park. Yeah. It features the worst line break in the history of Huso. Because it's in the final paragraph. As little is known about the origin of Telus's powers. And it is speculated that they are in many ways different from the norm on High Kreis. And it's just have the little word crayons on a line by itself. And I am sure whoever had to kern this type was really trying to squeeze it in as best they could, and they just couldn't fit it. So they're like, all right, move it to another line. But, man, that is just that is just killer, that little. That's pretty funny. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Having done lots of paste-ups in my life, you just you would just be fighting tooth and nail to just get some words out of there. Just, can we just get that crayons back on the rest of the line? But, okay, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> great, great, beautiful listing. And uh, he does wear the Legion flight ring, which shows that the Legion flight rings, of course, have to be different sizes because he's got giant hands. That's true. They're not small. No. They're, they're freakishly large. One size is not fit all for the Legion ring. they got different sizes. Unless, they, uh, unless it's like unstable molecules Could and be. just gets bigger and smaller. All right. Uh, next up is Tempest, one of the new Doom Patrol, first appeared in Doom Showcase number 94. Uh, he is, uh, the art is by Joe Staten. Very nice. This listing gets very, very detailed into like his sort of personal motivations and stuff. I'm going to read you from the last paragraph. It says, distrust and internal squabbling soon caused the Doom Patrol to break up. Joshua returned to New York, swearing to never again utilize Tempest's powers. With his connections in the underworld, Joshua was able to secure papers establishing an identity for himself as Jonathan Carmichael, M.D., Thanks to his years of private study, Joshua easily passed his New York medical boards and, with loans secured from a friendly loan shark, bought an established Park Avenue medical practice, setting into a quiet, respectable life treating his rich, hypochondrial, hypochondriacal patients. Events building elsewhere, however, will soon prove too irresistible a force for Joshua Clay to fight. And I read, I read that, and I was like, okay, this character was created by Paul Kupperberg, and I don't think anyone outside of the creator of this character would get into that level of motivation and detail. So I emailed Paul and asked him if he wrote this listing, and he did. He, in he fact, did? Yes. He, he affirms that he wrote this listing. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it, because I don't think anybody not familiar with the character would get into that level of detail. Well, it's interesting, because that goes back to what we talked about last time on how who's who was – you're really only supposed to reveal – uh, what had already been revealed about these characters. You weren't really supposed to do anything new. Right. Uh, and so, there, you know, there it is. Yeah, so. yeah I, I, uh, I don't re- – these guys kind of got – I don't want to get the – I don't want to say like a short shrift, but like people were really eager to bring back the old Doom Patrol not too long after these guys were brought. So these, this guy and Negative Woman and who's the other one? Celsius. Uh, Celsius. Celsius. They kind of got shunted aside for the return of the, the old Doom Patrol. And now there's a million different Doom Patrol members and stuff like that. But uh, they, they kind of had like a brief run before people really wanted to see the old group back. So. Well, but the way it worked was they, they tried to give us the best of both worlds. I mean, the, the old Doom Patrol sort of came back. Like, you got Robot Man back. Right. Um, 
Well, did you, you actually no? You didn't get anybody else back. Yeah, did it was you? just Robot Man. Yeah, he was okay. the only one. So you got Robot Man, and then I guess the sales weren't there. So a, like, and the way this is written, I don't know if you can tell they're hinting at something's coming. Yes. And what basically what it is, Doom Patrol number one was about nine months away. Right. By Kupperberg and Steve Lytle. Oh, that's right. I thought the state into the original one. That's right. Yeah. Now they're only they only last eighteen issues before Graham Morrison takes right. over and changes right. the whole thing. Oh yeah. And he kills everybody out. Um, you said Paul did write this. He did. I don't want to. I don't want to get too personal or anything. But did Paul ever serve in the military? I don't believe that he did. I have never okay. asked him, but I don't believe that he did. Well, this entry has the unique um, feature of Vietnam is spelled Vietnam, and it, it, I, I looked that up, and that is the correct spelling when you're talking about the actual country right, itself. Right. But throughout anywhere else in Who's Who, it's not done that way. And if you read the entry, it it does read like somebody who served over there. It's kind of how it reads. So that's why I thought maybe it was written by someone who had you know, served uh, in the You know Vietnam. what? I will ask Paul that. I am 99% positive because, like, age-wise, he wouldn't have been the right age. He would have been too young to have really served in Vietnam. But, uh, well, they were over there in the 60s, though. I mean, right. So. Yeah. He was born in the late 50s, so he would have been like – Oh, 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 oh. I was, okay. He would have been like eight. I mean, I know gotcha. they needed people over there, but I don't think they were sending eight-year-olds as far as I know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't, it would never occur to me to ask Paul, but I'm pretty sure. But, I, you know, I'll ask him about this because I am sort of well, interested. Even if he did, I mean, if he didn't, then it's really hats off to him for attention mm-hmm. to detail there. Really well done. I also just want to know what other listings he wrote because he's credited in, this, in the inside cover as one of the writers of this issue. So I'd like to know what other ones he handled. I just asked him gotcha. about Tempest. Though. You know, a couple other things about this character. I always had like a, I always struggled understanding his powers because both him and Celsius were in the team at the same time. We're both, pla- were both blasters type characters. And his powers always seem sort of vague to me, you know. But reading this, I guess he could disintegrate stuff. He could light a match, which it allowed him to fly. So it was a really sort of uh, different usage of the blasting power. So it was kind of interesting. Now I have to ask: in the Serpent, is that Reactron again? I think it is. Yes, it is. I think he deserves an award for being like the most amount of Serpents. <laughs> I think I think he's got to be ranking up there as far as you know, nameless bad guy showing up in the back panels again. <laughs> One so. of the great background extras in the history of comics. He's always exactly. He was like that. He's like that filling guest. Like uh, when the, you know somebody would always be missing, you'd always get Regis Philbin to come in at the last minute. Like, you could yeah. always fill him in. So yeah, we need a villain in here. Get Reactron. He's he's not busy. So he's yeah, he's got time. Yeah. Uh, next up is the other Tempest. This one from Atari Force, drawn by yes, that's right, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Beautiful listing. I mean, just I just love the way he poses his figures in the background you see tempest sort of phasing through from another dimension which was his power punching a guy right in the face meanwhile pack rat is like screaming and uh then you see tempest running with um dart and then him in the bottom him yelling at his dad martin champion it's a beautiful drawing it, it's again it's it's the, the, these things are so nice these these ones that jose did is it really a beautiful drawing yes i think it is Really? Yeah. I mean, he looks like he's a member of the band Nelson and stuff, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't blame that. I just think the drawing itself is great. I just I, I look into Jose's stuff to me. It's just always a pure pleasure. He puts so much life into these things. Hey, I love. I mean, obviously, I love Jose stuff, but it just it um it just doesn't seem quite right. It it, it seems oh like if I didn't know, but I would think someone else inked him. Hmm. It just. It's like the face looks a little off and mm. looks looks a little rough around the edges. But I don't know. You're just wrong. I don't know what else to tell you. 
I'm okay with being wrong in okay. this case because it's right. Jose, you know. So he's got a very '80s logo too. That is a classic, like '80s video game font. You can just hear the little 8-bit music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Top score. Uh, next up is the Mort of the issue. Oh my God! Ten-eyed man who has optic nerves in his fingertips. Um, Drawn by Irv Novik and Pablo Marcus. He was once described, he's not described here this way, but one time he was described as saying, uh, somebody said, uh, because he has the ability, because he has fingertips uh, on his eyeball, his eyeballs on his fingertips, uh, safe cracking is child's play. And the person quoting that was like, wait a minute, why? Well, why does having eye eyeballs on your fingertips make you better at safe cracking? It's not. That has nothing to do with it. Um, it is. He is just such a stupid character. You can't get over it. But you, you kind of love him because it's just so ridiculous. The costume is horrendous. He didn't always have that costume. He used to just wear like regular clothes, and then then he wore this thing. And his costume is brown and orange with these eyeballs going from his neck down to his belt. It's just completely ridiculous. And I think the best thing about Ten-Eyed Man was when he was killed off. Uh, <gasps> you know how he was killed off? I didn't know he was killed off at he all. He was killed off in the crisis. When that giant brick wall falls on um, uh, Dick Grayson, Dick falls on Adam, uh, Adam uh, Robin, and okay. in the background, laying in the rubble, there is a man with like shades on, frantically waving his hands in the air. And that is the Ten-Eyed Man looking to see what's happening. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And that's where they killed him off. So <laughs> it's like this is just the stupidest character, anybody. Yeah, uh, he was a former soldier, night watchman, sky marshal, later vigilante. First appeared in Batman number two twenty eight. Um, the Ten Eyed Man could see through optic nerves connected to his fingertips. He was a superb hand to hand combatant and marksman. Again, I don't know why that why that would make you a good hand to hand combatant. If you have things on your eyes, don't, you have to have nerve endings there. Wouldn't that be immensely painful for you to use your hands for anything? Then, if you have what? eyeballs in your and how do you just because the optic nerves connected there? There's still no like retina to take light in and everything. I mean, it's, it's really nuts. Um, but saying that, um, I'm sort of in love with it. I hope he's in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. It's it, he looks so ridiculous. I'm totally on board. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, I looked it up. Novak drew his first appearance. So that makes sense why Novak did this one here. Uh, did you already say that part? No. Okay, I said I that Irving Novak drew it, but I didn't say that he drew it. Oh, okay. Um, what I don't get is in the background the jewel thief who's robbing the safe. Right. Is that the, is that the thief that blinded him? No, that's the Ten-Eyed Man. But, no, but it, nowhere in here does it say he's a thief. He says that he got injured. He got um, he was a guard and he got you know injured by some thieves. And then it just says he went after Batman. It doesn't say anything about him going and stealing crap. Well, that's true. Well, all right. I mean, I guess we assume that he's a thief, though. I mean, he's a bad. He's a bad guy. Me is picking a, a safe ice. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it just—I don't know. It's it just I which got is hung child's up. play for him, of course. Apparently so. Um, like, if he punches somebody, does it just like make his head spin? I know. Or it's, yeah. It's. <laughs> it's silly, but I—I kind of love it. I do too. <laughs> I do too. He's completely ridiculous. That's what I love about it. It's great. Yeah, two pages for this guy. He deserved it. Uh, next up is <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> next up. All is... right, now wait a minute. Let's. You can take a joke so far. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> next up is the Terminator, uh, who is more famously known as Deathstroke because the Terminator. The Terminator is a bit copyrighted there. Drawn by George Perez, uh, one of the great 
sort of villain uh, villains created of the 1980s. We see him kicking the living crap out of the Teen Titans. He's really doing a number on Robin and Wonder Girl. Then there's a close-up of Jericho and his wife, and then him without his mask with a nice little sniffer of brandy there. Um, he is tricked out like all get out. He's got like he's got the bandolier. He's got a bow staff. He's got a machine gun. He's got grenades. He's got a dagger. He just super the, one of the great like villain designs as well. Not only is he a great character, he's a great villain design. And DC has gotten a ton of mileage out of him because he is essentially the big bad on Arrow. That's true. That's true. Now it is. It's interesting that there's so much text that Perez's artwork actually gets sort of jammed in the corner. It does, yeah. Which is a little sad because uh, I would have liked to have seen it bigger because it is a nice piece. Um, but the pose is a little boring. Mm-hmm. For such a dramatic fighter, it's just him you know, standing a bit of sideways with a gun. So the pose could have been a little more exciting, but everything else looks great. I, the history is written really, really, really exceptionally well. Like I really enjoyed reading the history in this. And I had forgotten so much of it. I completely forgot that it's his wife that put his eye out. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And uh, I do like in the in the uh, surprint you get a little bit of Donna Troy cheesecake. So, mm-hmm. so it's definitely a win. Yeah, I also like the fact that it said the surprint is in red, but the bullet holes are part of, are in black ink. Ah, that's a nice little, nice little yeah. detail. So, he, and I and I am curious why he ended up here instead of Deathstroke. It doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't. Because now that they have to call him Deathstroke, because, of course, the Terminator thing. It mentions that he uses 90% of his brain capacity, just like Scarlett Johansson and Lucy. So, And that's not the last time we're going to hear that phrase in this uh, No, in this, in this, po- in this po- episode. Episode, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Next up is Terra, which is amazing that these two characters that have a common intertwined history are next to, get next to each other in uh, Who's Who. Again, drawn by George Perez. This was one of the great one of the great storylines of the Teen Titans, I thought, um, in that she was joined as a, you know, joined as a new member and eventually was revealed to be a traitor. And it, it went on for a while, but not too long. I mean, it was drawn out just enough to make it powerful. Um, is it's, it was great. It was great. And she is, she was Tina Markov. She is sister to Brian Markov, who was Geoforce over in the Batman and the Outsiders book. She first appeared in Teen Titans number 26, and uh, it mentions, like, her relationship with Changeling and that he was the one that found her dead body after she died at the end of the storyline. Spoiler alert. Oh. And there is a giant close-up of her looking kind of like a slatter in a bit with smoking a cigarette with kind of a somewhat sort of evil-looking smile. So you know there's, there's something wrong here. Well, that's like – that's the famous scene, though, of her – Basically in lingerie, smoking a cigarette with like lipstick on, basically coming out of bed with Destro right. because she screwed him. Right. And it's very disturbing because she's she, her body makes her look like a very young teenager. Right. And so the idea that she had sex with Slate was even creepier. If in fact it was validated, it may not have been. I don't know. But the entry goes on to describe she's a bitter and insane young girl. So crazy. Um, it's it's a nice entry, obviously. I mean, Perez again knocking it out of the park, and um, you know it, it just reinforces how good the the Judas contract is. Yeah. You guys really need to read it if you haven't read it. Yeah, that is a great great storyline. Um, next up is another Terra. This time, Terra Man, the space cowboy, drawn by Kurt, Kurt Swan <laughs> and pe- Sam. Some people call me a space cowboy. Drawn by Kurt Swan and Sam De La Rosa. He is one of uh, if Ten Eyed Man. Is Batman's most ridiculous villain? The Terror Man is Superman's most ridiculous villain. Uh, he is a set of space cowboy with a winged horse. 
and he just flies around in outer space shooting his guns off and yelling Yahoo and stuff and showing up on Earth every so often to terrorize Superman. Uh, we see a close-up of him. In the Serpent, there's a close-up of him without his hat, him squaring off against Superman, and then him trying to rob a plane flying through the air on his horse. Uh, <laughs> it's, the horse is named Nova, by the way. Uh, this is really an incredibly silly character, but I'm now sorry in retrospect that they never did a superpowers figure. Okay. Did you, um, did you get a chance to read his entry? I did. It is a really interestingly written piece. It's, it's, a, it's very elaborate, very detailed, and it's actually very interesting and sort of as logical as comic books can get, you know, sort of progression of why this happened, to this happened, to this happened, and it all resulted in um, so it's an elaborate, interesting history, all designed to make sense of an absolutely redunculous concept. <laughs> it's kind of how it works. It's written well, and you're like, okay, yeah, get on board with this. And then you step back, you're like, oh, wait, never mind. No, it's, it's Terra Man. Um, from his energy lasso to his flying horse and everything, no, it doesn't work. Now, I'm glad they got Kurt Swan to draw it. He is appropriate for this sure, character. Sure. I'm glad they mentioned Blue Devil. That's awesome. And again, it references C Superman 2. Hmm. Brenda Pope answered, really needed her. Uh, it mentions he has used deadly alien plants that look like tumbleweeds and a tobacco-like herb, which, when chewed, enable him to create illusions. Again, it's all about the space cowboy nonsense, you know? It's, uh... Oh, jeez. I'm telling you, Batman v Superman should just have Terror Man and Ten-Eyed Man be the villains. You think so? I think that would be awesome. All right, let's, let's, let's write to Zach. Okay, yeah. We call him Zach. Uh, next, First name basis. Yeah. Next up is the Terrible Trio, a team of uh, Batman villains from First from First Bird Detective Comics number 253. So that is right at the dawn of the Silver Age. Uh, they're basically just crooks that wear animal head costumes. One of them has a vulture head, one has a shark head, and the other one has a, a, a fox head. Um, they, it's drawn by Terry Beatty. And this is one of the times where DC reached out to somebody outside of their wheelhouse because Terry Beatty was mostly an independent comics artist. He co-created and drew Miss Tree, the detective character that has been published by several different uh, comics publishers at this point. And he's doing his best sort of Bob Kane, Sheldon Moldoff creation here. Uh, these are just guys in these dapper-looking suits with these ridiculous masks. But this is like probably my favorite listing in the book just because – he, he takes a silly concept and makes it look really kind of cool and retro. And they, I'm not going to say they look badass because they don't, but there's just something kind of cool and madmanish about them, uh, even though they're one of the guys' is a giant vulture head. Dude, they freak me the hell out. <laughs> like, legitimately, this entry bothers me. I, I gives me the willies. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Cause it's not even that, like, like you said, it, it looks very, you know, 1940s. There's just something about, like, the vulture who's, you know, oh, I can almost feel his shoulders shrugged even though you mm-hmm, can't see him. Mm-hmm. The other guy with his hands on his hips. Great body language. Thinking. It's just, it freaks me out. I, I, it, this could give me nightmares. Um, it, it's really from the policeman's friend era of Batman, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, But where I guess I, maybe where I get the creepiness is from is they were major players in the Dr. Midnight miniseries by Matt Wagner and John K. Schneider III. I didn't know that. I mean, I mean, imagine John K. the third drawing these guys, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, that's yeah, that was awesome. And uh, they, they just, they spooked me. I I might have trouble sleeping tonight. So. <laughs> no, they're cool. I dig it. I love this listing. I like Terry Beatty's artwork anyway, but was, I just love that this is one of my favorite things about DC is that when they went out and got somebody different 
to do, mm-hmm. uh, and especially somebody as obscure as, as these guys. So it's cool. And in the background, we see them grabbing Batman and Robin. It's the same way my cat is currently grabbing my microphone cord as I'm trying to record this. So. <laughs> Thanks. There you go. Thank you, Frankie. Anyway, uh, next up is another place, Thanagar. Now, I mean, Thanagar, as much as I was kind of bored at these listings of places, Thanagar absolutely deserves it because it is one of, you know, the locations of the DC Universe. A lot of stuff happened. There was the Ron Thanagarian War. Hawkman and Hawkwoman come from there. It's, you know, it's it's just, it's like Krypton. It's one of the famous locations of the DCU. It's drawn by Richard Howe and Murphy Anderson. Richard Howe was currently drawing Hawkman at the time. Correct. Um... The thing about this entry is it just sort of reinforces to me how much better the Tamaran one was. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just, it's kind of a letdown. It's, it does deserve it, but it's a bit of a letdown when you see the other one, like how, how expertly done it was by Chuck Patton. So now it, I do like reading the entry. It's got lots of interesting history. You know, the Manhawks are in there who I'm now have a crazy man crush on and uh, it's got Rand, but then they start talking about high office. Bummer. Right. Had to go and ruin it. Now, I guess you're saying you're, you're terrified of the terrible trio because they are human bodies with animal heads, but you like manhawks, which are animal bodies with human heads. I think it's body language. Okay. All right. I just thought that was interesting. Might be worth something looking into yourself about that. I don't know. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. Anyway, yeah, there probably could have been a lot more sort of visual interest brought in on Thanagar, but it's mostly just a globe and then some other pictures in the background. We see Carter and... Shara smooching, and then we see uh, Hyathis again, your favorite, and a little bit of a fanciful cityscape. But it, yeah, visually, it's there's not a whole ton there. Yeah. Once again, it mentioned Superman too. <sighs> <laughs> makes me makes me want to cry. <laughs> so next up is Tharok by Mark Bright and Carl Kiesel. He's a Legion of Superheroes villain. I have zero idea who this guy is, like none, other than that he's this guy. In the Legion of Superheroes, who got a listing in Who's Who, and he's half robot. I, I <laughs> okay, he's, nothing he, about him. he's in charge of the Fatal Five. All right, which is worth mentioning. Okay, uh, they're the, they're the major or one right, of the I major. Right, I should have said that. Does say here he is the, he is a member of the Fatal Five, I and mean, we see him in the background with the other guys. Interestingly enough, the Fatal Five were actually formed by the Legion. Um, they needed help fighting the Sun Eater. And so they gathered together a bunch of people that were powerful, and they brought together those five, and they, the five chose to stay together. Good plan. I, I, I like how they talk about how you know he lost half of his body in an accident. Someone kept a piece of his flesh and cloned him, and then he had to battle his own clone called the Dark Man, uh, or Dark One, Dark Man, which I thought was a pretty cool idea, actually, when they outlined it in here. Now, this is drawn by Mark Bright. Which, uh, at this point, he's pretty much a Marvel guy. In fact, at this point, Mark Bright was my Iron Man guy. Like, mm-hmm. th- my favorite era of Iron Man that I was reading was drawn by Mark Bright at the, around this time. But it was just a couple of years before he became sort of really well-known for doing Emerald Dawn. Ah, oh, okay, that's, oh, right, that's that guy, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, can, it's, it's the Hal with the Great Temples guy. Right, right. Uh, when I look at this listing and I see Hal straight down his body, his robot thing, is divided. I really hope Tharok hangs right. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Next up is Thea. And, and I get shit for going places. <laughs> Next up is Thea, one of the gods of Olympus, drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his Praise name. Be his name. Beautiful listing. This is, if you talk about body language, this is great body language. You do not have to look at this listing to know she's evil. 
by her, the way her body language. That's true. She's, the she's, face is The perfect. face is perfect. Her hands are gnarled and that kind of like, I'll get you my pretty kind of thing. <laughs> you see the, some of the Teen Titans in the background. Uh, it's it's great. It is be- and there's this, you've got the wind machine going. She kind of looks, she's kind of like a Loki-esque helmet. Beautiful, beautiful drawing. I, I, as villains, these guys never did much for me. And I always felt like, how the hell can the Teen Titans take on the gods of a, like, you know. Cheese, they a little overclassed here, but uh, I don't. I who cares when the drawing is this nice? This is just beautiful. Do, do you see what our occupations are? Yes, goddess and president of Sun Publishing. Oh, maybe it's not occupation. Hold on, what is it? It's a uh, sorry, marital status. Widowed many times, <laughs> and then adulterous and bigamist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's your many times over. I'm sorry, I didn't read the next line yet. Many yeah. times over, adulterous, bigamist. Cracked me like up. To have, so, like to have um, fun. Now she's Lilith's mom from the Teen Titans, right? And she's a super hot redhead. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you got to give her credit. I like the claw, sort of not clawed hands, but she's ready to scratch somebody's friggin' now, eyes. Now she's out. Lilith's mom as a later reveal because she first appeared in New Correct. Teen Titans number seven, which was many, many years after Lilith first appeared. So it wasn't like yes, she's it's contemporary a retcon. Lilith. Yeah, she's a retcon. Yeah. Great, great drawing. Great, just oh man, I I want to like make like a PDF of just all of Jose's who's who listings. Just look at him in one big, one big thing. You know, when I was in uh, Portland recently, I bought the uh, I bought the who the the what am I trying to say? I have no idea. The the artist edition? No, what's it called? Ah, Modern Masterworks. Oh, Modern okay. Masterworks. Right, okay, right, that's what right, I'm trying right, to right. say. Jeez, I bought the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his, his name. Yep, beautiful. Next up is The Thinker, uh, who goes all the way back to All Flash Comics number 12, which is one of the great first appearance listings. All Flash number 12 with Thinking Cap, and then Flash <laughs> Comics number 65. So he goes back a really, really long time. He later became a, um, a foe of both The Flash and the Silver Age Adam, as long as well as the uh, original Adam. This is one of those guys where, in the costume, he looks like a total doof. But the surprint, the the side portrait, the quarter shot of him is great by Gil Kane. It's a yes. great drawing. He looks so menacing. And I actually really like him with his suit, his just regular business suit, and the thinking cap spaghetti strainer thing on his head. But when, I was going to say the colander. Yeah, the colander. But when he wears – he's a pastafarian. But when he wears the, uh, the, the superhero costume, it just – he loses all his mystique. Entirely. Yes, he does. Yeah. He does. The, the, the one shot with like the, the pencil thin mustache and everything, yeah, you know, uh, very Clark Gable. He looks, he looks totally badass. I love that. Now I, there's, I can't figure out why Barry Allen's in the serpent. I, I don't see any reason for that. That's true. Well, it mentions, it mentions him. It says, no, div- it mentions the flash though. That's it's talking about the golden age flash. Oh, that's true. Well, does it? It does. Oh, that's true. Um, They're talking about the Injustice Society of the World, so that would be the Golden Age Flash. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Hmm. Well, then maybe that's Cocaine's mistake. Maybe Cocaine just made a mistake. I don't know. Lie. Or maybe there's just more to the story. We don't know. Maybe um, so, I, I I also wondered. It talks about how he fought two atoms. Right. I wonder, did he cross over to different Earths, or is that a post-crisis retcon just saying both atoms were around, so he happened to fight both? I don't know which. He must have had to cross cross Earth. But they don't mention no, it, so I'm wondering well. if that's a post-crisis influence, right. you know? Could they? And then, uh, I love the, oh, we're already talking about the mustache. But something worth noting is in, uh, after Suicide Squad comes along, um, there is a new thinker, and it is Cliff Carmichael. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Look at that. John Ostringer turned cr- asshole Cliff Carmichael into the thinker. <laughs> Finally, he's fulfilling his destiny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool stuff. Again, I would have liked to have seen him without this costume. <laughs> yeah. Looks, he would look better with the suit. So, uh, next up is Thriller. Who first appeared in Thriller number one? Everybody. Everyone remembers Thriller as being the comic book that Ambushbug liked to put through a shredding machine uh, on the beach, lying on the beach, feeding copies of Thriller through a paper shredder. Uh, I actually read this book at the time. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Uh, it was drawn by Trevor. Von- I can understand why after reading this entry, yeah. dude. It was drawn by Trevor Von Eden, as is this listing. And I, I said I liked Thriller because it was just so different than anything else DC was doing. But I just couldn't understand it. And this listing does not help you at all, really, explain anything. <laughs> it is so confusing. Oh my god! I mean, I, I was able to hold on by like the skin of my fingernails, but whoa dude it just i mean insane who wrote this thing by the way who wrote thriller robert lauren fleming who was worked he, on ambush bug with keith giffen he must be he's not listed as a contributing writer but he had to have he had to have no one else could have wrote this thing uh this who's who entry anyway it talks about this the girl who got pregnant by her husband and a fellow scientist who just injected parts of him into her and then she has twin kids and that daughter merges with her husband, but then can possess her brother. And can, huh? And then there's I, – I find the Data character interesting. The guy who rides around in the car all the time. Mm-hmm. I kind of dig that. That's cool. But, okay, Beaker – hold on. Beaker Parish, okay? Right. Nine-foot tall, artificial intelligence being who's ordained Roman Catholic priest? <laughs> really? They, they let that happen. Well, they've let other things happen. I don't know how far it stretches. <laughs> I, I just... Whoa! This is one of those things where it's too many different concepts crammed into one concept. That, I think that's really the problem with Thriller, is that you just have too many weird ideas all competing for space in this in this one idea. It's like maybe if you had just pared it down to a couple of concepts, but it's you've got this guy and then this other guy, this other thing. And then this woman got pregnant by two different people at the same time. And then you've got the angel creature. It's just, there's just so, there's just so much stuff. It is friggin' balls of the wall. Plus it takes place in the future. And it's also not part of the DC universe as you might expect. And yeah, it's uh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Nuts. I kept reading it as a kid cause I wanted to feel cool. Like, well, there was no chance of that, but I wanted to feel like, Hey, I'm into this hip thing, but I'm like, man, and it was, it was a Baxter book. So it was more expensive at the time. Back when comics were like 60 cents, this was $1.25. So it was a major mm-hmm. expenditure to keep buying this book that I had no idea what was happening. None. None that's, at all. That's dedication, my they friend. They had a cool villain, though, named Scabbard, who um, kept his – he carried around a giant scabbard, as you might imagine, and he kept it inside the skin in his back. He had like – yes, like the skin in his back would form around it, and he would just yank it out. That was really cool. You mean really gross? Is that well, what you meant to gross, say? Well, gross, but also very cool. So I think you meant to say gross. Yeah, he also appeared in Ambush Bug, that guy. So anyway, next up is another Teen Titans set of Teen Titans characters. Thunder and Lightning, two-man team. First appeared in New Teen Titans, number 32. Uh, they have, I think you can figure out what their powers are. Drawn by Keith Pollard what? and Bob Smith. Well, I'm saying, saying I don't think the names really yeah, kind of give it away. Um, not a bad 
listing, it's okay. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously it probably should have been Perez, but he can't do everything, so. Uh, I may surprise you. I'm in love with this entry. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, now, first of all, Keith Pollard, I was kind of scratching my head. He's mostly a Marvel guy. Didn't really draw much DC at all. Turns out he actually drew a couple of issues with Thunder and Lightning, and uh, I didn't know that, so I had to find that out. Check out these powers. Just listen to the way it's written. I mean, this is like, this is good prose right here. In addition to superior strength, Gan, that's one of the guys, controls the thunder, which he manifests as rumbling noise and explosive force. Tavis has complete control over the lightning and can release it. Oh, I guess it's not, okay, it's not really great prose, but it's well, it, it's written interesting, sorry. Trav, uh, Tavis has complete control over the lightning, can release bolts of electricity, and even ride them like a surfboard or carry his brother upon them. The brothers share a psychic rapport as well as their power builds, storm clouds gather. And it's just, um, again, sorry, I was, the prose is not Wowzers, but the powers just sound so cool. And just the way they're laid out and how they're themed together. These guys were Siamese twins that were separated by magic. I haven't read these issues. It sounds so cool. And so, I mean, this is a Marv Wolfman when he was really firing on all thrunders, all thrusters. I mean, this is New Teen Titans just about a year before um, uh, Judas Contract. Right, so he's, yeah. yeah, so I mean, really doing some good stuff. And I think this is cool as hell. I love this. And I love the artwork. I love the crazy, busy storm in the background, you know? And they're lunging at the uh, camera, which is nice. It's, instead of just standing there, dead pose, it's, they're actually sort of popping out at the viewer, which is kind of cool. Yep. And then, um, you know, the, I didn't even think about it, but using the serpent in red and being a storm, it's a little reminiscent of uh, red skies. That's a reach, I think. You think so? Yeah, I do. That's all right. Okay. Uh, next up is Pete Cannon, dot, 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 Thunderbolt. One of the Charlton characters. Did you call him Pete? What? Peter. Oh, Peter. All right. Whatever. Peter Cannon. Thunderbolt. He's one of the Charlton characters. Uh, basically the original version that uh, Alan Moore built Ozymandias off of. Because this guy is just basically super smart. Super Like, he's, he's Mr. Terrific. He's the Charlton version of Mr. Terrific. And he doesn't really have superpowers exactly. Except he just harnesses 90%. Again, harnesses 90% of his brain. Him and Deathstroke would have a great fight. And, um... You know, he, he has, like, you know, accelerated speed and strength and intelligence and agility and all this stuff. He first appeared in Thunderbolt number 1. He's been – the listing is drawn by Pete Marisi, Pete A. Marisi, who was Thunderbolt's creator. And as far as I know, this is the only character in all of Who's Who that DC no longer owns. <laughs> he – when they bought him from Charlton – for some reason, I don't know why Pete Morisi got this deal when other characters did not, but but he did. That if DC did not publish a Thunderbolt comic by some certain point or within a certain amount of time, the rights revert to Pete to, to Pete Morisi, and DC failed to publish a comic, and the rights are now back with Pete Morisi. So DC no longer owns Thunderbolt. Interesting. Which I I didn't think makes him the only character to appear in any Who's Who series that DC does not own. Because I don't think they did ever did who's who for any creator-owned characters. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue. I don't know if they own Atari Force anymore. Did they not own Atari Force? Why wouldn't they own Atari Force? Atari. Right, but those are Force? well. I yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with Atari Force, but but anyway, yeah, DC flat out does not own Thunderbolt anymore. It's a nice drawing. People Reese's style is very very simple. It's kind of Alex Toth like, but a little more cartoony. Uh, we see him without his mask off. We see him punching some guy as a boxer, and then we see him punching another bad guy, like a hooded bad guy. Um, he's got a kind of neat costume. He wears shorts, which is tough to look tough in. 
but uh, he he rocks it, and it's his shirt. His shirt is bifurcated, and it's red on one side, blue on the other, and it stretches all the way down to his arms. It's not like separate gloves. It's all like one, like a big piece tunic, and he, he looks cool. He looks neat. I haven't really read much, read hardly any Thunderbolt comics. I'm actually more familiar with him as sort of Ozymandias than anything else. I only really know him from his post-crisis stuff, right? Because uh, he had his own series for a he while did. there. Yeah. Um, Peter Kane and Thunderbolt. So that's really all I know him as. And I, and I actually read that for a while. Um, I tried. I gave it the good college try to try to get into it. So, yeah. um, Interesting stuff. I mean, I, I had to research the creator bit that obviously you knew. It was surprising to me. I, I didn't know that he appeared in America versus the JSA. I don't, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I, don't, that was, I don't remember that. Because that would be earlier than any of the other Charlton characters yeah. coming in, I think. Yeah. So and then he was in Crisis and DC Challenge, right. um, so no, no, no. I have to go back and look at that. I don't remember him being in that at all. That's weird. Yeah, I don't either. Weird. Okay. Well, anyway, say hello and say goodbye to Thunderbolt. Uh, next up is another Charlton character, Tiger, who is the uh, sidekick of Judo Master. He first appeared in Judo Master number ninety-one. Here he is drawn pencils and inks by Frank McLaughlin, who was really more famous as Dick Dillon's anchor for 90,000 issues of Justice League. But Frank McLaughlin created Tiger, so they got him to come back and do him, which is great. Frank McLaughlin in real life is really into karate and stuff like that. Like, that's his, like, in real life, he's, a, I guess, like an expert or something. So this is clearly, like, from his heart. Juno Master and this character are, like, really his, his babies. And uh, he's... Um, He's in like an all-white costume with like a little hood. He's got his nunchucks. He looks very happy. In the surf print, he's there with Judo Master kicking the crap out of some Nazis. And then in the background, also, we see him there uh, getting ready to put on his tiger costume with Judo Master. And then we see him there without the mask. So, nice little listing. He's, his, he's, his real name is unknown. His occupation is a student and adventurer. Um, I got nothing. Okay. I, I, all I had was the Frank McLaughlin piece you already covered. Right. Other than that, I, it's kind of a yawn fest. But Okay. Well, that's Tiger. Next up <laughs> is Tigor. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this because it's an Omega Men character. Um, of all the Omega Men characters, this is, I guess, your marquee character. This is the closest to, like, the Wolverine of the Omega Men because he was a real killer kind of guy, literally. Uh, his name is not actually Tigor. It is Tig. Tagaru. There's a delta in the middle. Delta in the middle. I have no idea how the hell you say it. Uh, But said he was sort of the bad guy. Then not the bad guy, but the badass of the Omega Men. He was absolutely willing to kill. And part of the idea of the Omega Men was that the real leader was Primus, who was more of a thoughtful, stateful, more political kind of guy. And Tigor was always sort of pushing Primus to be like, "Look, if you really want to win this war, we're going to have to play dirty." And Primus was not willing to play dirty. Tiger was always you know, push, push, push. So that was part of the schism of that book. Was that these two good guys were sort of arguing back and forth about how else to win this war. Um, it's drawn by Todd Smith, who drew a lot of the Omega Men stuff, uh, and it mentions at the end that he was elected mayor by the Vegan refugees of Karak. So, you know, I think at the time uh, they started bringing the idea that you know, can a guy like this actually be then a politician? You know, can he settle down? Like, could Wolverine be a politician? Probably not. So that was sort of the idea well, of, of expanding the horizons of this character. Well, that's always an interesting idea is can the rebel leaders right. can, you know, serve a better government? Right. Or, is there, or is their function really just to do the fight? Right. You know, and that's, you know, that, they talk about that a lot in Star Wars. Yes. Uh, expanded universe stuff too. But um, 
the history is really interesting. I like how like he goes and he almost goes feral out in the woods with like other people of his species, mm-hmm. and apparently they have this natural shape changing ability that they've just sort of given up on over the years, and he reverts back to it because he's out there with them. I, it's pretty cool, and uh, the art's nice. It's um, you know, it almost feels like a Kirby piece the way it's broken into panels in the back. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it doesn't look like Kirby. It's not what I'm saying, but just the Kirby, the way he designed his Who's Who mm-hmm. entries, it reminds me a little bit of that. And uh, all in all, it's a, it's a nicely drawn piece. It's a shame it's about an Omega Man character, but yeah. There's a great moment in Omega Man where after they've won this big battle, they all, him and a bunch of the Omega Men are going to celebrate and they're going to like tie one on. And they all reach into, they all go to a bar and they reach for drinks and he grabs milk. And the rest of the Omega Men are like, milk? And he's sort of like, <laughs> yeah, you got a problem with that? They're like, oh, no, no, milk. That's badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, He's a cat. <laughs> He's a cat. There you go. It's perfect. So uh, next up is Timberwolf from the Legion of Superheroes. Once again, drawn by Steve Lytle. We all know I hate the Legion, but this is a great drawing. It's a really, really Thank you. great drawing. I love the logo, the whole bit. Lytle really killed these Legion, these um, who's who listings. I mean, he just, I, yeah, can't, I, he did. I can't think of a single one that was bad. I really can't. The man knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knows how to draw. Um, it's a gorgeous entry. He should have been on the cover. I mean, I stand yeah, by I that. I, 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 I think there's an argument to be made for that, yeah. Yeah. Um, the really sad history. I mean, his father experimented on him, which gave him his powers. And then there's this crazy bit in here that I'd never heard where somebody convinces Timberwolf that he's an artificial intelligence, like he's a robot. Um, yeah, he conv- yeah, he convinces himself he's an android. And so he spends a long time thinking he's an android. It's really weird. So, and then, you know, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, Bryn Lando. I guess so. But he's, he's, a, he's a weapon. You point him. Right. That's kind of how that right. So he ends up with light lass, lightning lass, uh, whichever. And we, we see them together in, in the yep. serpent. And then sadly they broke up, which I read not too long ago, Aww. which was kind of heart-wrenching. So. It mentions he's that a really, here. What's that? It mentions that here. Yeah. He's a cool dude. And uh, he had his own miniseries in the 90s where he was even more feral. And uh, mm. I dug it. And he's pretty cool in the Legion of Superheroes cartoon, too. Scared my daughter. <laughs> It's nice they have him and Tiger back-to-back listings because they're similar MOs. Or alphabetically it works. Alphabetically as well. I guess when you put the word Tiger in there, you're going to get a lot of Ta characters. So You know, I wanted to bring that up. Is there some sort of thing in magic where words that start with T or T-A tend to be magic? Because there's a whole bunch of magic people in this thing. Like the Phantom Stranger characters and there's the, the Talia has got a little sorcery in there with her dad. And there's, there's several... T sorcery thing. I things. don't know what to tell you. I really don't. All I could think it was like talisman or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, next up is Time Commander from Brave and the Bold number 59, drawn by Rod Wiggum and Mike DiCarlo. Uh, I really don't know much about this guy. I know that he fought Batman and Green Lantern in his first appearance. There's a, I remember that cover because it appeared in like a million DC house ads from the 60s. Um, he... <laughs> You know, he's the time commander. He, he's carrying around a, a giant uh, timepiece with sand around his belt. And he's got a clock on his chest, so I guess that makes him the time commander. <laughs> I thought he was like a big-time villain. No, like, no, he's fuck, yeah, no. no, he's not. Yeah, he's he's had like, you know, two appearances. Now, Wiggum, uh, I thought Wiggum did a nice job on the art. I thought he really did. He, at this point, was famous for drawing G.I. Joe mainly, so... The downside is the entry is very much one of those blow-by-blows mm-hmm. where it's like, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's, like, oh, it's almost care. entirely just the first appearance in Brave and the Bold. That's pretty much yeah. the, whole, the whole issue. 
And when I say he had two appearances, for I don't remember, but he could have just been two issues of, of decent, you know, Brave and the Bold. I don't remember. And yet he's the time commander. Yeah. It's a big name for himself. You know, kind of a grand name for a small guy. Yeah, like a, a Napoleon complex. Yeah, all right. And now finally, the Time Trapper. Yet another Legion character for his appearance. Adventure Comics number 314, drawn by Keith Giffen and Rick Bryant. Uh, Keith was in a hurry. You think so? Yeah. He's, oh, come on. This is a very boring listing. He's just standing there. Uh, and you get another guy with the with the hourglass. It's just uh, yeah, this is. Well, it's got time in the name. Yeah, I, well, I know, but I'm, I mean, all the time guys have to have hourglasses, I guess. I mean, it's fine, but just to me, it's it's kind of on the dull side. Um, now you sort of remind me, you know, of the Legion of uh, Substitute Heroes. I mean, all of those Keith entries were very plain, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it seems he was going for that too with a lot of with very little text here. Yep. So. He, this is a major character in the Legion mythos. Right. Uh, I like his base of operations, the end of time, with E and T capitalized. Now, there was always a mystery about who the Time Trapper actually was. And you got the sense that it was somebody that, a character you knew, either from the 20th or 30th century. And it's actually been revealed a few different times of who he is, and it's always a different person. So, if you've ever read a story where the Time Trapper was revealed, who he really was, don't count on it. They always change it. <laughs> okay. He played a major role in the second Legion of Superheroes Treasury comic, uh, which I am covering for a little blog called The Legion of Superbloggers. How on earth you got past the front door there just blows me away. That's it. I, I wrote a post for the blog already. This will be my second post for the blog. I know. Yeah. I know. I think you have more than me out there That's now. right. That's right. <laughs> oh, so anyway, that's the Time Trapper. Uh, you know, okay. Uh, and then the inside cover is where the characters are appearing. It mentions Talia's uh, we'll last seen in Batman number 400 and will return in the Batman graphic novel, which I guess they had yet to title at that point. Um, mentions Tamaran, Tales and Timberwolf, the Teen Titans, Tarantula, Thanagar, Thunder and Lightning, Thunderbolt, Time Commander, and Time Trapper. Nice thing is that out of the six covers they have there, mm-hmm. three of them are by Steve Lytle. Really? New Teen Titans, Legion of oh, Superheroes, and Cosmic okay. Boy yeah. are all by Lytle. Very nice. And they're all awesome covers. So I love the Outsiders cover. It's hilarious. It's got Looker behind bars in prison, where, quite frankly, she belongs. But it says, Big Trouble, Looker's in prison. She's like, I was framed. And Halo has braces. braces. What a bummer. She's like, what a bummer. So it's just like, oh, my That was a great gosh, issue. This. I love that series. I don't care what Siskoid says. I love that issue. I love that series. At least they're having fun with it. It was great. I love the crap out of that book. I don't know. So anyway, that's Who's Who number 23, man, in the books. Yep. Three months, and then we're done. We're not doing any more Who's Who. I forgot we didn't announce that. Yeah, we're just stopping as we're number 26. He is so full of crap. <laughs> I just wanted to see, give people a heart attack for a second. We, ha- we have a 27th episode planned where we're just going to cover some, you know, little things here and there that we have about Who's Who Series 1 that we want to touch on. We'll, we'll touch on the ambush bug. And then we're done. Uh, and, th- and then we're done with Who's Who Volume 1. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. I thought we were Then done. we're going into the updates. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. We're doing the updates, and then we're going to hit the Star Trek, and we're going to hit the Legion somehow, and then we'll get to the Loose Leafs. Oof. It's going to be uh, a blast. We're going to be doing this oh, in our retirement. Oh, my Lord. Anyway. It's how we're paying for our retirements doing this podcast. Uh, really? That's news to me. Uh, no, there's no, there's no money. There's no money in this. Next up is listener feedback. The who's who's, how's and why's. This is the feedback for episode uh, Shag says he says uh, 
Shag wrote. Oh, sorry. Episode it's twenty-one. Episode, 22. episode twenty-two. Actually, I just started the same file. Right. That's all. Okay. Uh, I started off the feedback, uh, copying to my mistakes where I said I'm mad at myself that I forgot to note that this issue number twenty-two is where Sugar and Spike should have appeared in right between Strongbow and Suicide Squad. And I really am very quite mad at myself that I did that because they deserved a listing, and I completely forgot to mention it. So my apologies. Well, I, I have something to say up front. You know, in, in essentially what we're doing this podcast is is entertainment purposes. I mean, it really is. It's not it's not like a TV show, but it's still we're producing entertainment for people to listen to. And in the key to that is know your audience. And apparently. I did not know my audience when it comes to the new adventures of Superboy. Because I made an offhanded comment about like you know, something about it. I said, well, nothing can come good of that. Oh, boy. Yeah, you took a sideswipe at Superboy, that Superboy series, big time. It was like this little offhanded thing, yeah. just going for a joke. I got the shaz beat out of me. I actually had a guy show up in my house with a bat. Uh, it was not pleasant. Just for the record, I actually owned from buying off the spinner rack, two issues of the new adventure Superboy, issue 14 with Lex Luthor, issue 17 with the Kator robot, which was the Master Jailer storyline. Um, I'm, I'm innocent, so I'm just saying I, I, I was trying to be funny, and it didn't work. That's, just, that's a shame. It's a real shame. Uh, we, got, we, got an email. <laughs> we got an email from Stephen Bird. He says, uh, well, was, this was a comment, I think, left on Firestone fans. Stephen Bird. The Superman of Earth-1 entry was an amazing and wonderful surprise. I've read the entire run of Who's Who over and over, literally since I bought my first issue of the series from a flea market back issue bin when I was eight. I know all the issue entries inside out, backwards and forwards. Geez, maybe he should do this show. When I heard you guys talk about Superman Earth-1 entry, I quickly went from confused to ecstatic. Thank you for correcting an almost 30-year-old mistake. And what an entry it is. Just amazing work from everyone involved. From Zum Yukonori, from Awesome Creation, to Michael Bailey, dropping Kryptonian quality bits of information. Of course, to you too, Robin Chag, for bringing it all together for us fans. In fact, I love this entry so much, I'm actually inserting the JPEG of the entry into my digital copy of this Who's Who issue, so Earth's on Superman can finally take the place he was always meant to occupy. I actually went to Kinko's and printed it out, or FedEx, I guess, nowadays. Printed it out. Kinko's? That's illegal. You can't do that. They weren't. They they don't. You don't have to get them to copy anything anymore. <laughs> uh, so anyway, and I and I you know and I had it on a thumb drive anyway, and I printed it out and I have cut it out and it is resting inside my copy. <laughs> I, I kid you not. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. It's gorgeous, and we're going to talk about that. A lot of people yes, compliment. Yes. So we heard from Joe X. He says, uh, "Nice touch on the cover with Starro, kind of recreating the Brave and the Bold number twenty-eight cover, and it should also count as one of Burns' many recreations of the FF number one cover." I did not pick up on that. Well, yeah, because well, because well, the FF number one, the cover to FF number one, is a indirect copy of Brave and the Bold number twenty-eight. Is it though? Yeah, or no, is it, it is. No, that's, no, no, no. That's no Martin Goodman. The story about how. Fantastic Four came along was that Martin Goodman was playing golf with the head of DC yeah. Comics. And the right, head of, he knew all this. Right, and the head of DC Comics said, boy, our new team book is selling really well. So Martin Goodman went back and told Lee and Kirby, do Justice League, and he apparently even said to Kirby, copy the cover. From what I've heard, that story's not true. Though. Okay, well, I, I heard it from Stan Lee, and I would imagine Stan Lee always tells the truth about everything, so... <laughs> It does make a great story, though. So, all right. Uh, the JLA facehugger cover by Brian Ballin was a- this is still Joe X was actually done on spec, if I remember. That's and right. The story That's was right. written around it. That's beautiful. How cool is that? Yeah. 
Stiletta's costume looks like one of Jim Aparo's rejected looker designs. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I, I appreciate the support in my despise for Stiletta's costume. Thank you. And uh, he wrote, Joe also, oh, go ahead. You've got a oh, He Dick mentions the Dick Dillon could churn out pages. He drew Blackhawk then as well. I forgot to mention that entirely. Imagine Dick Dillon did two team books a month plus World's Finest plus special issues. I, he was a machine. No wonder the guy died young. I mean, for the love of Pete, that is insane, doing two team books a month. I know Perez did it, but he did it for like three months. Dick Dillon did it for yeah. years and years and years. He was a machine. Yeah, crazy. So, um, I had made a comment about Trinity, uh, the, the comic, the weekly comic. So he wrote, bah, I read every issue of Trinity and enjoyed it thoroughly. It's still better than Countdown. Well, see, Joe, I have to take issue with what you said there. I mean – your what, your def- definition of good is by comparing it to Countdown. <laughs> I would say, you know, being stabbed in the hand is better than Countdown. So your 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 scale's a little off. Right. I'm just saying. That guy shot me three times. That other guy only shot me twice. He's way better. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we got an email from uh, Zoom Yukonori, our hero. He says, first of all, I am doubly honored to not only have my Who's Who Earth One Superman faux entry featured on your podcast, as if it were an actual entry, but to also have it covered not only by your good selves, but by Superman podcast authority, Michael Bailey. My thanks for both that and the Yellow Dot Award, which shines, shines proudly on my desk when the glare from my computer monitor hits it just right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, much like us, he takes the joke and he runs with it. Yes, yeah. I pulled the art from my copy of the 1984 DC Style Guide, except for Clark Kent, except for the Clark Kent vignette, which is reconstructed from my Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, panel in DC Comics Presents Number Four. The text was a meld of various sources, including the Superman source book and other Who's Who entries, and my rereading certain stories covered in the history. In particular, E. Nelson Woodrow's The Origin of Superman from my Secret Origins of the DC Superheroes hardcover, which in this later reading I saw Jarrell portrayed by Bill Nye the Science Guy and the Kryptonian canceled by GOP congressman, and the two issues of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Though I agree somewhat with Mr. Bailey on the ending of the latter story, since these issues pretty much closed the book on pre-crisis Superman, it seemed appropriate to use them as the ending of the Who's Who section. And yes, I did forget to mention his super costume under powers and weapons. Despite being inundated with the references to my invulnerable cape in many a Superman story, I suppose this is what age does to you. I am wondering if there should have been a mention of the supermobile as well. Maybe that should have had its own entry. That was a pretty cool device in its day. I created this piece because I could not let the injustice of slighting the Earth One Superman and Huzu continue. So it's come as no surprise to anyone, given my association with the Shannon with Shannon Farnan, that I am already underway in creating an Earth One Wonder Woman entry for episode twenty-six. You rock, sir! You absolutely. I can't rock. wait to see that. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's a uh, Bronze Age Wonder Woman. Everybody loves Bronze Age Wonder Woman. Yeah. It'll be beautiful, though. Oh, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. That's I, I talked to Bazon about hiring him to do a um, custom Who's Who entry for Earth 2 Aquaman. Uh, and, 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 he res- and he responded by saying there was no Earth 2 Aquaman? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> no, he said, of course I would love to do it because he's a nice guy and he understands completely that there is an Earth 2 Aquaman, unlike some people. I don't know what you're talking I mean, about. It's just not. noise coming out of this flap beneath your nose. Uh, we got an email from Cisco. I keep saying email. We get comments from Ciscoid regarding the cover. Nice enough cover, but it feels like it didn't reduce the art enough to fit it in the printed space. The way that Star Hunters are cut off is ridiculous, but also see how Steppenwolf and Bird's signature are awkwardly cut off too. What's missing is that despite the interaction of some characters, they are mostly floating in a void of different groups maybe. I like that idea that like 
Burn sent in the drawing, and like they sent the guy down to the stat machine to do it, and he was supposed to stat it down to ninety five percent, and he goofed and statted it at a hundred, and it didn't quite fit. So I eh, just mm-hmm. run with it. <laughs> uh, Siskoid goes on to say, "Who's Starfire?" You, you may recall Siskoid does these uh, "Who's uh, that" entries based on who's who. So he did one on Starfire. He lists it on his website, which is siskoid.blogspot.ca. Anyway. Um, he says that the, the new editor guy, Carl Gafford, started off weak by not having the, quote, not part of continuity notice that began with this issue, despite the fact that the letters page specifically earmarks her for, the, for that label. So basically what they're saying is uh, they made a big deal last issue about starting to say who is in DC continuity, who's not, and they failed to actually cover that for her. Anyway, he said uh, if you want to see her in new material, you can find her in Time Master's Vanishing Point miniseries where she interacted with Booster Gold. So I may have to check that out, because I want to say that was a Jurgens piece, too, with Booster Gold, I think. So it might be worth checking out. It says, Star Hawkins, Ilda, is a, which was his robot companion, is a rare character not to get her own entry, nor to be a member of a team, but to still appear on a Who's Who cover. Nice. Hmm. That's true. Interesting observation. Siskoid apparently has trouble sleeping and thinks of these things. <laughs> On uh, Starman 2, he says, there are several numbering problems on Heroes, not just this one. Or Superman, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Starfire 1, for example, is really Starfire 3 because it was Red Star's original name, and there was a Supergirl villain with that name. Star Sapphire is 2 because there was a Golden Age villain by that name. Steel is Steel 2 because Commander Steel only called himself Steel, and so on. Yep. Uh, and then with the Star Rovers, he goes on to say, sorry to contradict you, Shay, but the Rovers had a whole seven appearances, not four, all of which were reprinted in the 70s at least once. Uh, no need for a dark and twisted Garth Ennis book with them in it. Just look to Howard Shakin's Twilight miniseries. And here I thought I'd pushed out those Who's This articles early enough for you to research. Tisk tisk. Sorry, bro. I actually, um, I, I, my web browser only goes to Firestorm Fan. It's the only website I can actually look at, so I, I couldn't visit your site. Oh. Uh, he mentions to me that the Swamp Thing cover on House of Secrets number 92 is in fact by Bernie Wrightson. I couldn't exactly remember who it was. I was like 99% sure it was Bernie Wrightson, but I've been getting so many things wrong lately that I didn't want to take the risk, so I just sort of hedged my bets. But it is, in fact, by Bernie Wrightson. Um, talks about Stunburst. He says, I got into the new adventures of Superboy because of Dial H for Hero, but I have fond memories of some Superboy stories, chiefly among them star- Sunbursts. But this having an entry is complete nonsense. The letters page says that due to the burnification, Superboy will not get an entry, not even the prime one, despite being just present in crisis. He, uh, they say Superboy doesn't exist anymore. Okay, so why does Sunburst, a character who only ever met at this point Superboy, and still get an entry? Strange, he would let her show up Morrison's Doom Patrol fighting the Brotherhood of Dada. He's got a point. Yep, and then uh, he mentions stiletto. I'm sorry, he mentions cyanide. It's anti-climax. What's worse than an outsider's villain? The outsider. I'm sorry. Shoot, I blew the whole thing. Uh, anti-climax. What's worse than the outsiders? The outsiders' villains. Mind numbing is right. And then he goes on. He did entries uh, for Strongbow, Sunburst, and Steel Claw. Very nice. We heard from our buddy Martin Gray. And he says, given that both Starfires were sex slave rebel leaders, it's odd that Marv Wolfman didn't simply conflagate them. Conflagate, I guess that's the word. Conflate, conflate them. Um, you make a good point. That would make a lot of sense for Marvel Wolfman to just bring the characters together or say one is the other. However, based on the stories of what I've heard about what Marvel Wolfman did to John Byrne with the with the recreating of uh, Superman and making sure Wolfman got credit for the creation of certain things, 
I imagine he didn't want to use an existing character because he was already doing that with Beast Boy. I imagine he wanted to create his own character, Whole Cloth, to get the credit and get the uh, reprint rights. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Uh, he mentions, I finally got to end the got to the end of the podcast. I must thank Zone for the fantastic Superman of Earth One entry. DC's logic for exclusion doesn't even last one page. They want to concentrate on the new Burn version, so they aren't acknowledging the last guy. But they are nodding towards the equally discontinued Golden Age Chappie. It's nonsensical. Yeah. Yeah. They they were really I, in I'm, a corner there. They really had no good way of, you know. I understood why they did what they did, but it doesn't make any sense. So they really were kind of – they put themselves in a no-win scenario. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, if they had done all three, you probably would have made one of them a one-pager. And it probably would have made the most sense to make the burn one the one-pager because there was the least amount of information. Right, but there's no However, way they were going to do that, right? There's no way – yeah, because that's the one they're trying to sell. So it's eh. – Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I do feel like they should have done the Bronze Age one. Yeah. So. We're from our buddy Kyle Benning. He says, it's too bad Byrne didn't do more of these who, Who's Who covers. I absolutely love this cover. This is my favorite. But I'm a biased, uh, I'm biased about Superman and, and Byrne. I love how he draws the Earth to Superman. He makes him noticeably bigger and bulkier and not as defined. I love it. Um, I'm right with, with you. I'm right there with you, man. 80s Byrne, I just eat it up with a spoon, you know? Like his Alpha Flight stuff that he did, I could read that over and over and over and over. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was, yeah, his 80s yep. stuff is just the best. Yep. Man, that Chuck Patton Commander Steel entry is gorgeous. I love Patton's art. I really wish he would have done more comic book work before he moved on to animation. Speaking of his animation work, I, I rewatched the first season of the 2003 TMNT cartoon a couple months back and noticed that Chuck Patton was an animation supervisor on the series. Yes. I had no idea. Yeah, that's what he's been doing outside of comics all these years. He lives in California doing animation stuff. No idea. Yep. Yep. Uh, he mentions those damn controllers. You can't trust them. They always, they're always screwing things up. Making sun eaters and being a pseudo-time trapper. They are proof positive that the road, is hell, road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> uh, last time we talked about the whole Daily Star, Daily Planet sort of confusion, how the the Daily Planet was around in the Golden Age, so why does the Golden Age Superman have Daily Star? Anyway, it said, uh, this is what he wrote to us. He said, the Daily Star in name and look was designed after the Toronto Star, where Schuster had spent much of his life before moving to Cleveland as a teenager where he would meet Siegel. Since the newspaper strip, which believe it or not was much bigger deal to have a syndicated comic strip at the time than to have your own comic oh, yeah was going to be published across North America. They decided to change the name and look of the newspaper Clark Kent worked at so not to favor a specific newspaper publisher. I mean, who would want to run a newspaper comic strip that featured one of your publishing rivals in a positive light? So the more generic or ambiguous uh, Daily Planet designed, uh, design and name change was made, and it stuck. That's cool. That's I didn't fast. know that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Look at Kyle dropping the, the knowledge. It's uh, very nice. Uh, heard from Aaron Brotherhead by, uh, Moss. He, uh, he thanked us for mentioning his Suicide Squad podcast, and he says, I always have to say I enjoy Mark, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. I also have to say I enjoyed Mike banging, uh, barging into Shag's place and joining the Superman goodness. So I'm glad you enjoyed that. We really loved having Mike on the show. That has been planned since probably the very beginning yeah. of uh, Who's Who. We knew we wanted Mike on board for the, star, the Superman one, and it was just a matter of how we were going to make it work, and I think it came off exactly what we wanted, and I'm very pleased with that segment. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it was great to have Mike on the show. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, we got an email from oh, – I'm sorry. Did I jump ahead? Well, I was, I've got a couple on oh, Earth, too, sorry. Chris. Um, he said, uh, Starman's rod not being created – 
names. I keep, I'm, I'm making up words tonight. Starman's rod being created by another person was Roy Thomas's idea. Starman never had an origin before the issue of All-Star Squadron where Thomas gave him one. Years later, Robinson used this in the Starman series with Jack explaining that his dad didn't refute the erroneous story despite the fact that he really did create the gravity rod on his own. I like that, how Roy Thomas did one thing it made it where, you know, uh, he didn't create the rod. But then Robinson came back and just said, no, nah, it was just a wrong new story. That's a, it's a clever way to not overturn something. It's just a nice way to work it in. And then a uh, great observation by Earth 2 Chris. He said, where was Kara slash Power Girl in the Earth 2 Superman's entry? She's not listed under known relatives. Huh. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Hmm. No idea. Uh, we got a message from Alexander Osias, and he mentions Aisha Tyler, the comedian, mentioned on one of her recent podcasts that Starfish was one of her favorite characters growing up. Now, I don't really feel understand what he's saying here. Is this, When he said Starfish, does he mean Starro? I'm assuming, because there's no other Starfish characters in Who's Who. Uh, I'm even more intrigued at the idea that Aisha Tyler is a comic book fan, and that she's enough of a comic book fan that she knows who Starro is. Because, like, I mean, I don't, I don't whip this out much, but she is hot. And uh, the idea that she reads comics is a little too much for my nerd brain to handle. Who is she? She's a, she's a comedian. She, was on, she had, like, a recurring arc on Friends. She's a voice on Archer. Um, she's, I, I, other than that, I can't think of what else. She's, she's mostly a comedian. And I guess, okay. like I said Archer, I guess, is probably her main credit. But, of course, you don't see her on the show because she's just a voice. Who's she playing Archer? Um, the main woman that Archer tangles with, the other spy. I forget her name. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, his, his ex-girlfriend? Uh, is he... Uh, with the big hoop earrings and the white top? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. She's a gorgeous woman. She is, like, stunningly beautiful. So the idea that okay. she reads comic books is, like... Cool. So. Um, I'm going to read out a couple of Rob's entries while he figures out where he is in the document because he's, like, five pages later than where we are right now. You jumped ahead. Um, you skipped over. It was my next no, turn to I, do Alexander, and you skipped over, and he jumped to Earth 2 Chris. I, I didn't... Oh! I was lost in the dark. Oh, look! It's actually Shag's fault, not mine. And instead of you waiting off air to mention that, you got to just publicly shame me when it turns out you were wrong. Isn't that great? I'm glad this has been recorded. Why don't you go ahead and take this out in editing? (laughs) F no. I'm not doing it. Now you all see what I have to deal with. Oh, my God. Guys, the stuff he cuts out where he screams at me and just berates me and calls me all kinds of horrible names. I think it's it's pretty clear that you deserve it at this point. Oh, my God. This is ridiculous. How else are you going to learn? I am I, – no, I am completely redoing my contract before I go. Yeah, go, go have fun at your Ultraverse podcast. <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> now you can read your Earth 2, Chris. Comment. Oh, thank you. He says, you guys kept that Earth 1 Superman gag going far longer than I anticipated. It's no secret that this is who's who's most notorious moment. As a kid, I was flummoxed that my Superman got the shaft like this. I'm with Michael and I have serious problems with the ending – problems with the ending of for the man was everything so i'm not sure about that being in the entry after all it is an imaginary story but aren't they all well not to me alan moore <laughs> thank you for giving us uh, credit for keeping that gag going through the whole issue or through the whole episode we had fun with that we were like you know let's see how let's, let's just go the whole time and our hope was we would get a few people to be like oh and uh, I, I kind of put together a group of comments later that we'll get to where uh, we did get a few people that were scratching their heads. So next up is Ange. Um, and I'm probably leaning a little heavy on the Starfire 1 comments just because I fell in love with that entry. So I got, I got more here. Did you pick here. up those comics yet? I haven't okay. yet, no. 
Oh, I still haven't read Twilight. It's been sitting on my shelf for five years. <laughs> you haven't so. read a Atari yeah, for I haven't read it. Well, no, the Twilight thing. I seriously, I've had those three comics. It's at least five years on my two-read shelf. And so, anyway, uh, that's not as bad as other comics I bought when they first came out that I haven't read either. So, some stuff from before Infinite Crisis, I think. I'm picturing Starfire. you reading the newspaper from 1996. I got to get caught up. Starfire One. I love this character. You're right that this was a solo female adventure title, which was very rare back then. But she was also half Asian. That was even rarer in comic book world then. Remember my love of 70s DC sword and sorcery obsession? Starfire was sci-fi fantasy, so I lumped that in that group. My thoughts on Starfire are on Frank's Bloodlines uh, site. So you can go over to dcbloodlines.blogspot.com and look up Starfire. Uh, he made a – Ange makes another really interesting observation. He says, under Star Sapphire, is Carol Ferris the only character with two entries in Who's Who? Hmm. Because she had Star Sapphire and Predator. That – Huh, I never thought about that, but I think you might be right. He may be. We're going to have to, you know, well, we say we'll have to think about it. We're not we really going won't. to. But, yeah. but if you guys at home would please think about that and write in and let us know, that would be <laughs> that awfully would be appreciated. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> we love it when you guys do the legwork. That would be great. Um, Ange mentions, of course, Supergirl. He says, Supergirl. Okay, settle in. It may be misty to hear Rob say that Supergirl deserved a two-page spread. I agree. Hard to believe, but Supergirl was the backup feature from Action 252 to 359. Jeez. That's a good run. She then headlined Adventure Comics from 381 to 424, then off to Superman Family for that run, and then on to her own title. That is quite an unbroken string of monthly stories. As Jim Mooney drew Supergirl in Action 253, second appearance, to her last Action Comics appearance at their 59, I think he was the right choice. His look of Kara with the big blue eyes, the campus cuddle bun hairstyle, the personality quirk of holding her finger to her cheek when thinking, etc. He was the guy. I understand this is a boring art pose, but Supergirl had just died in the comics. This looks more like a memorial piece. I thought it worked fine. I also believe that it is the Anti-Monitor and the Serpent. The history does a nice job of covering Kara's history. Yes, it was Anti-Kryptonite, a green K that affects non-superpowered Kryptonians that killed everyone. That Kara came to Earth knowing Earth's customs and Superman because of a long-range space telescope they used to follow Superman's adventures. You can tell that DC had a hard time figuring out what to do with her. She has six bases of operations. And she has a paragraph discussing the changes in her life. Midvale, Stanhope, San Fran as a camera person for the news, then acting school, then guidance counselor, then soap opera actress, then back to school. Nutty. You can tell that the page was written when someone must have reminded the editor that her Kryptonian parents ended up being alive. That paragraph sounds like it was pasted in at the last minute. It starts with meantime. Meantime? <laughs> By the way, it's worth mentioning Ange, who that comment was from. Ange does the Supergirl blog. Yes. Yes. So, uh, comic box commentary. He's also one of the Legion super bloggers, but he he is the Supergirl expert. So that you know, worth mentioning yep. that. Uh, I've got an email from Jeff R. There's actually another Superman skipped in there. The one I call Lame Duck Superman. Who <laughs> I love this. Quack, quack, I love quack, Lame quack. Duck Superman. Who appeared in comics between the publication of Crisis 10 and Man of Steel number 1. This is a sort of problematic Superman, allowing himself to be reduced to ambush bug straight man in his own main book, Action, a third of the time. And one who has to sometimes be the Earth-1 Superman unchanged and sometimes be the post-Crisis Superman in load-bearing roles and guest star stories. I love that phrase, load-bearing roles. This is n- it's, it's, it's well constructed. It's very well yes. constructed. This is not unrelated to the Hawkman continuity snarl. Anyway... 
This issue is where the dual mission of Huzu bites the series in the ass, where it finally has chose has to choose between documenting DC history and providing a reference for the post-crisis universe, and it fails to make that decision in any clean manner at all. If it were the latter, then Supergirl and Kal-El should have been left out. So the egregious omission of the month is going to come predictably out of that decision, leaving aside the Earth-1 Superman here. They explicitly mention one of the honorable mentions, the Superman Revenge Squad. The other HMs belong to characters I know you both love and appreciate, Steve Lombard and Superboy Prime, who wasn't called that yet, or just for that matter, or for that matter, awful yet. He would have been Superboy 2, I guess. But the actual winner this month is Superwoman. No, not the Lois Lane one. No, not Luma Lumai. Not the Earth 3 one either. Also not the one where Superman visited a gender-reversed universe, but the trinity of hoax, pranks, and imaginary stories don't get entries ever, and this turned out to be the middle one by Mr. M. No, the superwoman who deserved an entry is Superman 4, Kristen Wells. The mere fact that the numbering goes up that far indicates that the concept deserves some mention. Lena Thorl, clearly a practitioner of the Alucard school of aliases that aren't fooling anyone with half a brain. <laughs> Jeez, I don't even... Who the heck's Supergirl? Superwoman 4? She, Kristen Wells. She appeared in DC Comics Presents. She had, like, a... Her costume was, um... She had, like, a hood, like a like a complete head mask. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't even remember her history, but I remember it, the cover was drawn by Gil Kane. Like, really exciting-looking character. But he's got a point that if you do four versions of one character, they should at least mention it at one point. I mean, it's four true. of them. N- now I want to say now that you mentioned I want to say that they brought back that same Superwoman design for that um, oh gosh what was it it was a new I don't think it was New Fifty Two it was it was just before the New Fifty Two the Superman books Krypton came back uh, anyway I guess it doesn't matter but they had a Superwoman in there and I think that with the hood sounds like the same same thing yeah it's a really neat looking character really well designed yeah. I would say the egregious omission which was already acknowledged was the Fortress of Solitude yeah that needed to be in there too yep absolutely. Yeah, so Anthony Durso, the toy room, came in. He said, um, I, I was trying to figure out last time where I had read about Star Hawkins. And uh, he said Star Hawkins was in one of the whatever happened to features in DC Comics Presents, number 33. That might be where Shag read it. That is the most likely answer on the table. So I'm, I'm going to go. He's probably right. Thank you for that, Anthony. That's the best I can come up with. Star Sapphire. I mentioned Star Sapphire, that there was a second version of Star Sapphire in Secret Society Supervillains, and I postulated that it was just an art mistake, and then they had to cover it up with the story. But he actually comes up with a lot of details here because he has a sad life and doesn't leave his parents' basement, I think. But anyway, it's a, I'm just kidding, Anthony. Don't don't hate. So because uh, we're coming over to you. Didn't anyone with all the claim um, Play-Doh toys and stuff? We're going to his house, right? No, Play-Doh? that's 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 Chris. Oh, that's Chris. Okay. Oh, so Anthony does live in the basement with his. Anth- well, Anthony okay. Durso makes custom Mego boxes, and they are ridiculously awesome. I mean, unbelievably cool. I'm just I'm just picking on him because he's an easy target because he's not he's not here to kick my ass right uh, now. He so. mentions uh, Starro by the way. He says I preferred this iconic version over the one that was recently introduced as a humanoid space gangster. I don't even know what he's talking about, and I don't want to know. I do. Uh, I haven't read it, but that's in the uh, Legion story, which is um, oh good. I'll never Legion. read it. Well, no, no, no. It wasn't Legion of Super? No, not Legion. Uh, Rebels. It was in the I'll, Rebels I'll, story. I'll doubly never read it. <laughs> Well, it's no, it's supposed to be really, really good. So I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I don't know all right, I'm done picking on you, Anthony. Forgive me. So anyway, the so Star Sapphire. He says the version shown in Secret Society Supervillains was Ramona Natra, an alien chosen by the Zamorans to be their queen. She refused to honor and escaped. She refused the honor and escaped to Earth, where she stole Carol Ferris's Star F- Sapphire gem and adopted the identity of Deborah Darnell. 
frequent girlfriend of Captain Comet. She also masqueraded as Camille, a French real estate agent. Not sure what the motivation for that was. If it was ever revealed, I don't recall. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't revealed. So, um, Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, well, Stone- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, Stone Boy. This one's directed to you, sir. Uh, hold, the fo- hold the phone. Will lambaste the Legion for allowing membership to a character like Stone Boy, and yet Mr. JLA has no issue with characters like Manitow, Raven, Tomorrow Woman, Triumph, and Major Disaster infiltrating the ranks of the Justice League? Tsk, tsk, tsk. I have a ton of issue with it, but that's the later JLA. That's not classic JLA. The later JLA allowed all sorts of losers in there. I mean, once you let Vibe and Gypsy in, you really don't have any room to turn your nose up at anybody. Triumph was, uh, he was one of the first members. He's a founding member of the Justice League. I hate all that. I just hate all that. Uh, he also mentions, I can't believe there was no mention of the fact that Sugar and Spike were overlooked for an entry. Yes, already. Mia culpa, Anthony. While none of the DC humor characters made the cut for who's who, SNS did have a cameo in Crisis, so this account for something. Not to mention a 98-issue run. After all, it's not asking for Wendy and Willie to be included. <laughs> I would have... Who are Wendy and Willie? Just another set of funny humor characters that DC published. DC published a whole line of basically Archie ripoff characters in the 50s and 60s and early okay. 70s, and Wendy and Willie were one of them. They were, like, indistinguishable from Archie in terms of the look. So uh, oh, that would have wow. been... I would have loved DC to do... Who's who in humor characters? There was no chance in hell that we're ever going to do it, but I would have bought the crap out of that series. We could have, we could have got the, uh, the 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 pig guy for who became Pig Iron. That would have been great. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Fox and Crow, uh, all those yep. guys. It would have been the Three Musketeers. I would have bought it. Yep. Under Diablo Frank, we got his dissertation. He says uh, this is his description of Starfire Two, and it is the best description of Starfire 2 I've ever heard. Starfire 2 is basically George Perez's most famous pseudo-Latina creation. She's hot-blooded, fast-loving, kind of ditzy space charo. Unfortunate minority representation, not just for well-meaning, but misguided white liberal writers anymore. She's all, also, she's a storm ripoff without ever receiving any of the development of Aurora over the years. She got all the in-text attention, but Donna Troy was the hottest titan. Dang. You, sir, deserve a high five for that. It it really hit a lot of my points. Uh, He says, man, Chuck Patton brought major A-game to the Steel profile page. I've said it before, and I shall repeat. Steel 2 had everything he needed to be a solo hero laid out for him as part of the Detroit-era Justice League, except a personality or compelling motivation. The legacy aspect, Dale Gunn, sweet logo, the disturbing familial relations, the bunker, the not Quinjet, and a quality costume redesign, it's all there except a character anybody cares about. Ouch. That's sad. That makes me sad. Uh, he mentions, don't find the beset Toddleman Swamping entry as appealing as you guys. While I respect the changes made to the character, my interest has always rested with the early Ween Whiteson material. The later version looks messy, and the serpent seems like a sketchbook hash. Viva la difference, Frank. I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't just him. There were a lot of people that wrote in that, um, not a lot, but there were a few people that wrote in basically saying they weren't as thrilled with that, that entry as we were. Hmm. Right. I, Maybe I, we were just blind. We could have been just blinded by how much we liked that book. I don't know. I don't know if Bernie Wrightson doesn't appear in, in Who's Who at all. Uh, so I wonder Ooh. if he, I mean, he later came back to D.C., but who drew the spawn of Frankenstein? Uh, that, right that was no, that was Toddleben and Bissett. All the spawn of Frankenstein. No, oh, that was spawn the of Frankenstein. I'm sorry, Michael Kaluta. Oh, yeah. Kaluta. So okay. I, 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 get, I, get, I get Kaluta. And yeah. Wrightson. So I think I think it's perhaps Kaluta that Wrightson wasn't working for DC at that time. Now again, he later came back, 
but so maybe that was why they just got Bissett and Tottleman to do all the. I mean, part of a small thing was they're they're one of their hot books, so they wanted to get those yep. guys in there. But I mean, they didn't give rights in any other thing, so it may have been that just there was just no chance of them getting him at all anyway. You know, I just read an article. Um, this is in modern day, not old stuff, but apparently. Swamp Thing is one of the series right now in the New 52 that's like on the bubble of cancellation. Aquaman and the others as well. Yeah, I well, okay. No no real surprise there, no. sorry. But Swamp Thing, that shocked me because it was huge, huge banner. But apparently when Scott Schneider left, people didn't have faith in it and they bailed and apparently it's really good still. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's a shame. Uh, we got. Oh, by the way, if you want to hear more of my uh, Frank's thoughts, unvarnished or unedited by us, listen to his podcast, Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I've been listening to it, and it is. Uh, it's not Frank unhinged, but it's Frank just unedited. So, if that interests you, go check it out. Speaking of which, Frank, I've, I've left enough hints, but I'm not getting any help from anybody. I need you to email me about this thing because I started listening to your show. I was really enjoying it, and then you started covering Annihilation, which I'm halfway through reading extremely slowly like over the course of a year um and i don't want it spoiled so i need to know which episodes i can listen to help me out brother let me know which episodes i can listen to that don't have annihilation coverage because it seems like every episode i take a peek at does okay we've we've made our public appeal uh we got an email from michael bailey <laughs> i'm the irredeemable shag and i endorse this yeah. message uh from michael bailey okay had to come back i understand making fun of snapper car I get it, but I will rise up in defense of the Blaster Special. I love that book. No, seriously, I did. I remember picking it up off the stand soon after it came out and really digging this weird team. To be fair, the Hulk joke that Peter David wrote went a long way to winning me over, but I love the idea that this group of misfits that were almost casualties of an interstellar war banded together because they didn't have anywhere else to go. I'm not saying it should have won an Eisner, but it was a lot of fun with some great James Fry artwork. I have no idea. I've never read Blasters. It had snapper cars, so therefore it is invalid. So that's the end of that. I, uh, I've got something on this. I wrote a, a post on Firestorm Fan many years ago called The Completist's Burden, which is that when you're a completist and you follow a character, you want to get every appearance of them, even if they're just in a panel in the background, that not colored without speaking. And the Who's Who in the DC Universe role-playing supplement had a listing of every character's appearance at the time. It was a resource, and it listed every single appearance Firestorm was in, even if it was just a headshot. So I, over the years, had been searching out for all these things, and for some reason I could not find the Blaster Special, probably because they only printed four of them. And couldn't find one, couldn't find one, couldn't find one. And this went on good 10 years, you know? I, I finally found one a few years back, and I was like, finally, I've got the Blaster Special. Oh, thank goodness. I sat down and read it, and oh, it was such a pain to get through. <laughs> and, and Firestorm's appearance is really not worth it. So it's a, it really was a good example of the completest burden. So, sorry, Mike. Different, uh, different strokes for different folks. I said, it's got Snapper. I just forget yep. it. So, uh, uh, we, oh, yep, go ahead. We, we heard from Philemon, uh, our buddy Philemon, who, on a regular basis, Philemon uh, makes statements that are just completely the opposite of uh, logic and sense. Reality. So he's, if you're, he's got a few here. He says, uh, Starfire 2, he goes, I don't know when y'all will come to understand this, but there are no bad t- Titan characters. And if there were, Starfire would not list among them. Danny Chase is about as close as you get to bad Titan. Oh, and the bastardized versions seen in the t- Teen Titans Go cartoons. Those guys suck. All right, a couple things with that statement. Uh, I'm really glad you beat me to the Danny Chase punch because I was going there next. But then I'll say, you know, really Panther and Wildebeest and things like that are okay. Now, I, I actually do like Panther as a member. Wildebeest, 
questionable. But uh, And I'm really glad you bashed on the Teen Titans Go cartoon because it drives me crazy. My kids love it, and I hate it. It's like They're like, oh, it's great. I'm so, I love the show. I'm like, really? Wouldn't you just rather have a few more seasons of Young Justice instead of that garbage? You know, and uh, I uh, hate it. Super Chief. 60 or I'm sorry, six or 60 appearances. It doesn't matter. I think this character looks awesome. and I want more of him. <laughs> I think that sums up Philemon in a nutshell right there. Uh, Superman two. Thank you so much for doing this. My wife and I spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out what was going on. There may, there may or may not have been internet research done on whether international versions of this issue included additional pages. The idea of an updated issue may or may not have been discussed. We were both impressed with your commitment to the bit. Yeah, well, there's a there's a comedy maxim that says if you do something initially, it's funny, and then if you keep doing it, it stops being funny. But then if you keep doing it past that, then it becomes funny again. Uh, I don't know where we are, where we fell on that spectrum. But as you notice during that segment, I say very little because I can't act. I can't act at all. And so I knew that that whole thing required a performance. So I just let Shag and Mike talk because I, 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 I'm as bad as, like, a porno actor. You know, just like, I'm, a, uh, I'm here to read the meter. You know, I mean, just I can't do it. Um, the thing with Philemon, you know, I like the guy, but then he mentioned this. I will take 1,000 Howard the Ducks over Citizen Kane, most overrated movie ever. I just, like, to me, everything he says going forward and going back are, is invalid. Just well, period. It's Philemon. Everything he says, this, this is the guy who has the, 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 the Jericho fan club that he is the sole member of I and know, president. I know, I know. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's out there. He's on left field. It's fine. Sometimes the internet just goes too far, and that's one of the times the internet's going too far. <laughs> you pushed his buttons, finally. Well done. Keep at it, buddy. Uh, I heard from Count Druncula. He says, Starman, one of my favorite Golden Age characters in look and power set. I was listening to the podcast thinking about how I would comment on Ted Knight having an affair with Black Canary when Rob suddenly proclaims Starman's rod has many uses. <laughs> well times there. The Star Ro- the Star Rovers. Okay, the art looks nice, but it but if <laughs> sorry. The art looks nice, but if five sixths of the page is art and only one sixth is text, <laughs> hmm, maybe these guys didn't deserve a full page entry. It says, Longbow. Holy shit, Walt Simonson meets Howard Chaikin. I never heard of this character before tonight, but this is damn near the best art I've seen in this entire series. Wow. Not, not the very best, of course. That honor belongs to Dave Stevens' Catwoman. Mm. It says, it's always a treat to hear Michael Bailey join an episode of Fire and Water, but did we really need to spend 45 minutes on the Superman entries? I'm glad you brought that up, because the answer is Yes. We really needed to spend 45 minutes on the single most important comic book character in the history of publishing. Yes, we did. Because I, I, I did get that question from one or two people. And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Superman deserved it. End of discussion. <laughs> uh, he says, nice of Rob to give Shag a hard time about plugging the Legion of Super bloggers for three episodes. Are you guys ever going to mention Ace Killer or Hey Kids Comics on the show? Touche. Uh, and uh, yes, we are going to mention those things. Uh, AceKillway.com and Hey Kids Comics available on Amazon. So there you go, Count. Ding! So we got uh, messages from Wolfgang Hartz. He said uh, in the last episode that we say Stiletta and Cyanide's costumes were ridiculous, yet uh, we're okay with Starfire 1's costume being attractive. Here's the difference um, Stiletta and Cyanide's costumes really, really look like a product of the 80s. Um, they look silly. They they look like Looker, who looks ridiculous as well. They don't really work. Whereas Starfire One, 
she's just wearing kind of like almost like clothes, you know, stylized clothes. So it works for me. And um, there you go. There you go. That's how that that's how that rolls. Heard from Tim Wallace. He says Star Rovers, and he's got a story for us. He goes, I know Mark Wheatley. I met him when a mutual friend recommended I intern for him at Insight Studios, and now think of him as a good friend. Anyway, as soon as I could, I could, I hopped on Facebook and asked him how he got the gig. He said someone knew I was a fan of space opera. I think I had been asking about the aborted Star Wolf series by Edward Hamilton that was planned at DC Comics in the 70s. Um, and later, an editor remembered the conversation and asked if I wanted to do the Star Rovers piece. So there you go. He knew someone who knew someone and what his interests were, and boom, a Star Rovers entry was made. And uh, then he goes, then Tim goes on to say, Stiletta, I bought an entire run of the Hex series after you guys covered that entry. Damn subliminal messaging. And I still haven't read it yet, LOL. Tim, you can't blame us for your weird psychosis, all right? At no point have we ever endorsed the Hex series. I'm no, just saying. I don't think so. I'm not taking this. I'm sorry. If you need to go to your therapist and work through this, that's fine. Don't put this on me, man. All right? I uh, heard from little Russell Burbage. He said, uh, let me step up and defend. This is, this is crazy. It's, it's Russell wearing his angry pants, I think. But he said, let me just step up and defend the science of the yellow sun, a.k.a. one sun, two sun, red sun, blue sun. <laughs> if we are agreeing that the idea of the red sun of kryptonite makes Superman less super and that the yellow sun of all, makes all Krypton- Kryptonians more super because of how brightly it glows, then it's true that the white and blue suns would make them even more strong. Blue flames burn stronger and more consistently than yellow flames, which is why blue flames via natural gas are used in science labs all over the world. Wow. He put, like, science and stuff to this. I, I, I can't defend that other than just go, comics? Yeah. That, because that's about comics. All I got. Yeah, the Mike Bailey defense. Because comics. Mike Bailey or, um, or Michael Bradley and uh, Sean Engel over on uh, Tangent. They use that a lot, too. So I don't know if they stole that from Bailey. I don't know who's copyrighted that one. So We got a lot of comments over on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we're not going to hit them all, but just gonna, we picked out a few select ones. Uh, here's some folks that we tricked, which is what we were going for with the Superman 1 entry. Or Superman 2 entry, I guess it was. Because I'm just sick and sadistic. I like screwing with y'all. He said, Michael Wagner said, am I missing something? Am I missing pages for my issue? I don't see a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, Superman Earth 1. And uh, yay. We heard from Bert Barnard. He says, okay, I was listening to this episode and reading along with the issue when you guys came to the Earth 1 Superman. Totally confused me. I went right to your Tumblr page and found it. It's really good, so I thought it was real until I saw it printed below Jose Luis Garcia's name, praise be his name. Then I heard the end of the episode explaining whoever made up this entry is really good. (laughs) Bradley, Congratulations, Zoom. Yes, Bradley Null says, OMG, I want the Earth and Superman entry to be real, so much so that I went and checked the internet to see if it had been added in a later printing. I knew better, but it was so well done I had to check. <laughs> Very Andy Kaufman-esque. <laughs> we heard from Van Z. He said, I worked late every day for the past three weeks, today, but today I left on time to rush home and check out the Earth One Superman Who's Who entry. Talked about it on the podcast. I finished listening to it at lunch. Awesome. It makes me happy and sad. And I've been sad since September 2011. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel bad. Uh, J. David Weeder, in advance of the episode being released, uh, when we announced we were getting ready to release it, he wrote, my very first issue of Who's Who, if you fail me on this, so help me, I will be mighty torn up. There might be tears. Uh, Keechee Baker, two Batman entries and only one Superman? What the F? Teenage Keats still upset over this one. I don't get that. There was, there was two. What is he talking about? Two Batman entries, only one Superman. There was two. There was two Supermans and two Batmans. 
maybe he's not counting the uh, Earth. The burns. I guess he's saying the burns Superman doesn't count. So the you know like Silver means. Age Batman got a listing. Golden Age Batman. Got a okay, that makes sense. Uh, Colt Markhart says, "Guess who got all the Who's Who comics off eBay for fifteen dollars? This guy. Who's Who podcast? Here I come. Finally, I can actually see the pictures. Cool." Uh, Christopher J. Warden said, ahem, shag, I read Trinity as it was coming out every week as it was coming out. Um, I, you have problems. That's what it boils down to. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Heard from Michelle Fief, uh, writer of Marvel's Ultimates, which you also need to support, by the way. Uh, he wrote, do, do your – oh, he, he helped promote the, the gag. He helped promote he the did. Earth that one. He did. That was great. JLG. Yeah, he put, do your copies of this issue have the JLG GL entry? And uh, he predictably, it's the best thing ever. So uh, that was great. Thank you for that, Michelle. And then finally, Abel Padilla says, regarding Steppenwolf as one of the best superpowers figures, the only other thing that would have clinched it would have been if he was also offered one of those giant dogs that he rode around on a new guns number seven. That <laughs> giant dog would have put Steppenwolf into measures of universe-level coolness. That is absolutely that, true, Abel. That is absolutely true. That would have been super cool. <laughs> well, folks, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, we're going to put, as we said, about 10 to 15 entries from this uh, this one up on the Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com and the email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Yep. We, uh, we're looking forward to hearing your feedback on this episode. You know, I sometimes, I, I enjoy the feedback on the sort of lackluster issues even more because usually you get a lot of good stuff from the folks and their insight and either why an, why an entry is better than we thought or just chiming in on their own crazy thoughts. So I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone has to say. Uh, you can, you can put your comments at our blogs as well. You can put it at firestormfan.com, uh, or you can put it at robs at aquamanshrine.net. You can find both of us on the social medias. Uh, find me under Firestorm Fan on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. You can find Rob at Aquaman Shrine on Google+, t- uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Right. And uh, what else? Uh, you, you already pimped Ace Kilroy in Hey Kids <laughs> Comics. You, you've already mentioned the Legion of Super Bloggers for me. Ultraverse. I will... I have to mention the Ultraverse podcast. Um, by the time you hear this, it won't have started just yet. We're a few days away from launch. But yes, me and a few people, some of the um, nuclear subs actually, have started up an Ultraverse network. This is going to be a network of people celebrating the Ultraverse, fans celebrating the series. We're going to have three different podcasts with different hosts in each show. One focusing on Nightman, one focusing on Solitaire, one being sort of a general topic show. Don't, la- don't do that. You're, you're showing disrespect. I don't do this when you talk about Aquaman, do I? Because people have heard of Aquaman. Oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, do, do you know why the Ultraverse got shut down? Do you know why? Because it was too awesome. Actually, it's almost that is almost exactly the right answer. Because Mar- DC was about to buy the Ultraverse. Seriously. Okay. DC, DC was about to buy the Ultraverse. And this is what the editors and publishers say now. Anyway, DC was about to buy the Ultraverse. Marvel got wind of it. And that would have actually made DC the largest, uh, have the largest market share in the comic book industry in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Marvel just was not going to let that happen. Okay. You know, they would have lost their shit if DC had a larger market share. So Marvel swept in and bought it. So, and eventually when they shut it down, I mean, it all ties back to the fact that DC wanted the Ultraverse, my friend. It could have been Aquaman and Prime being best friends forever as a team-up or something. You just, I'm just saying, it could have happened. So, anyway, you can find uh, us, we're, we're, the site's not really probably ready for you to go visit, but if you made it this far into the podcast, you deserve a little bonus. You can go check out ultraversepodcast.com. 
and uh, our our the official grand opening is October seventeenth, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We're so excited! It's nuts. I mean, again, we it's seven of us all together working on this thing, and it's celebrating a series that you know had a very short lifespan twenty years ago. And as Rob said, most people haven't heard of it, but we're having a blast. And that's the important thing. Yep. So um, I guess that's it. And until next time, folks. Who's next? Who's next? Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. Just look at all that ice. Touch it and you'll be looking at 10 years in Blackgate Prison. I've been itching for some payback, Batman. <laughs> The Ten-Eyed Man? Cool! Did you hear that? Unfortunately. Be careful, Batman! According to Who's Who, the Ten-Eyed Man, a.k.a. Philip Reardon, was a soldier in the Special Forces. I thought we had a deal, Batmite. I do the crime fighting. You go back to your home dimension. He was wounded in battle and took a job back home as a security guard. One night, thieves knocked him out and planted a bomb. When Batman arrived to stop them, Reardon mistook him for one of the robbers, and they fought. The bomb exploded, blinding Reardon, but a surgeon attached his optic nerves to his fingertips, and Reardon became the Ten-Eyed Man! Weird. Beat it, kid. True fans appreciate a nod to the more obscure villains from your rogues gallery. That's one of the great things about your show. <gasps> Beltnet! Uh, uh, this isn't a show for your amusement, Batmite. This is reality. To you 3Ds, maybe. I love how you take it so seriously. Here! Ten-Eye, catch! What? Ah! My eyes! My eyes! Ah! Don't get me wrong, that was a cool fight and all, but it was strictly sea list.